Welcome to Leather and Limits. Good morning, good morning. Here's Dartax and Kay on our first official live cast. All right, so uh, today our topic is going to be uh, uh, dynamics, uh, BDS simulation strips versus vanilla differences, similarities, and those kinds of things. Uh, for our conversations, typically we pick a topic and then conversation just kind of flows from there and we see where it goes. And uh, we'll probably hit on some uh, oddball things as well. Most likely, you can guarantee we're going to hit on a range of things in the process because that was part of the goal. Because it's, it's not about just being vanilla versus kink. It's the title is technically a misnomer. It's just the best way to describe it. Cause we're talking about the, you know, there's this idea about kink relationships that I've found in my experience where people just assume that that's all it is all the time. Um, the best example of that is as a, as a matter of fact, is my last partner had this assumption in her head that because we were going to be a dom and sub, we were never going to have any vanilla elements to our relationship. And it was something she had wanted too. she didn't want those missing. And I'm like, well, why would they be missing? You're still a couple first. And that's exactly what we're touching on here is at the end of the day, you're still two humans first and foremost with the desires of them. That includes being in a proper relationship with all the emotions and joys and memories that go with it. It's the one thing I hate about it being described as a vanilla element versus kink element when a relationship's still a relationship at the end of the day. Exactly. The uh, one of the things that uh, that we need to go over here is I'm going to introduce myself, just my history and what I've done, uh, so we have some context from where we're coming from. Absolutely. Uh, I came from Gore. I started, uh, you know, my uh, my fiance at the time gave me a couple words and said, "Go research, go look this up," <laughs> and I ended up uh, on a, a program called MIRC or Merck uh, in uh, in some chat room, Starting and there was this dynamic going on. But it's a cultural dynamic. The men were masters, the, the women are slaves, and they were serving them and commanding. And uh, it was very weird and confusing. Oh, I can imagine it was, especially in the digital setting back then. Right, right. And I didn't have any context. Uh, the internet was at its infancy. Um, you know, there were only at the time there were only a few hundred websites out there. Uh, so, you know, Google was just getting started. Um, so I was on this thing and trying to figure things out and there really wasn't any information out there for me to, to go out. So I, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, over the next few years, I dove into the culture, uh, and my experience at that point was mostly online. Uh, but there was a lot of good conversation, a lot of good philosophy, a lot of good knowledge to be had, you know, Absolutely. I, yeah. So, um, I met people who have been living this lifestyle, real life and, and picking their brains and understanding what it was, uh, to, to be the master, to be the one in control of somebody's whole being and everything that comes with that and what that responsibility is, uh, looks like. And eventually, uh, I brought one, uh, brought a slave home to be my own. And now I was that person. I had that responsibility. And holy shit, was it different than everything else I had experienced up until that point? 
Um, I spent the next 17 years with uh, controlling women in my home uh, and the poly relationships and uh, going through just the things, the life, those decisions uh, that you have to go through. Who makes the decision for a surgery, right? Right. Who makes, uh, who decides on the career change? That was me. I decided, hey, we're moving now. I had decided, hey, you need to have this surgery, even though it's technically elective, you got to have it. Um, you need a change in careers. I had to make those decisions because um, they couldn't. They'd waffle. Right. Well, and just so, as importantly, yeah. it's a case where, you know, sometimes they either couldn't or, you know, it wasn't something you made arbitrarily. It was something you did for the good of both of you. Exactly. Exactly. And so my experience came and it was, um, I am not on the top of the pecking order. I'm not. And, and it sounds weird to say I am the master of my household, right? Let's look my chest now. Um, I'm, I'm not the top of the pecking order. Her doctors are above me. Their orders are as if they came through me and I will treat them that way. The house as a whole is above that. Um, if, uh, welcome in. So, uh, let's do that. Okay. So if, um, something is damaging my household or interrupting my household, um, I will have to move to fix that. Right. And even if that inconveniences me or I am really, really unhappy with what has to happen, it has to happen anyway for the good of my household, right. as opposed to the good of, you know, myself and being selfish and saying, I want this thing, therefore I must have it. And that's absolutely not the case. Yeah. So um, I've been in this, I mean, from the beginning. Uh, since uh, 98. So it's been a, a good, a good number of years. Feel that. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's been a nutshell and uh, there's a ton of experience and a lot of things that have happened along the way. And I'm not going to go over to over those for right now, but um, I took that initial online experience and turned it into a lifestyle and I've been living it for quite some time now. Uh, Dartex, what's your experience like? <laughs> And this is something we've talked on to get together more than times than we can count. But um, for the sake of those that don't know, obviously, I'm, I've had the luxury, and I use that word for a reason. Um, I had the luxury of being effectively recruited into a leather household in the 90s at about 97, 98 myself. So about the same time frame um, in the deep part of South Florida. This was a range of opportunity I had no idea about yet because South Florida was one of the very few super active, super healthy communities back in the turn of the century. And I hate using that word, but it's just accurate, so we'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need people making more jokes about our age, do we? <laughs> uh, I don't know. One more might, might not hurt. I mean, I live with someone who makes cracks about my age all the time, and I let her. So, I mean, there you go. Um but no, it's a case where I was recruited directly into a leather house at the ripe age of, you know, 18 and a half. And I was warned straight up very early on, like, this is the options you have. This is how we do things. And you always have the right to walk away. But no, if you choose to walk away, you will no longer be a part of our house. There are no do-overs this way. 
And that included being, you know, on the bottom. You were a bottom at entry. There was no options here. It was not up for discussion. And it wasn't that you were considered unworthy, even. It was that you were expected to act as you knew nothing until you did. And you were recognized as being competent. And so you weren't expected to have any of those senses of responsibility that came with being a top or a dominant of any kind or a master or of anything of that way, that nature. You were expected to shut your mouth and do as you're told. And that included experiencing all the things that go with being a bottom. Um, and it was years, you know, it was a couple years down the road when I finally earned my vest that I was allowed to effectively speak for myself and choose to what role I was going to take. And when I chose to be a dominant, there was even more practice time before I was even allowed to set foot in an event as a household member, because you were expected to act as a representative of that house, no excuses. And so they didn't just let you go out in the world and hope for the best. You know, here's your patch. Here's your, you know, wish you the best of luck. Now act like you know what you're doing. You were expected to pay attention and learn before you were allowed out as a household member. Or you could go and, you know, quit, but you would never be a household member. You would just be some guy showing up at events. And you'd have a whole different kind of reputation in those days as a result. Because being part of a leather home was a significant thing back then in a lot of sections of the country. Not for everybody, and obviously, you know, you come from that other end of things with gore and whatnot, and that was also another community type. Um, and it wasn't that there was only leather in ours, there was all sorts. But showing up to an event as a household in 5, 10, 15 people, depending on the size of the event, as a collected, organized unit, there was a cohesion there that you don't see the same way today. It's not something you see on a regular basis where we walked in together and people immediately noticed this is a group of leather clad individuals who walk and talk like they know what they're doing because we did. We weren't allowed to show our faces in public as a representative of the house until we did. There was no room for options there, which is both good and bad, obviously. I mean, and some people took to that. Some people did not. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, everybody's path and journey is their own. But as a result, I was given three years of practical training ad hoc. Um, and that was something I wasn't expecting at the time. But as a result, they were not expecting anything good, bad, and different from me. They were expecting me to act like I knew what I was doing or else. But they were going to make sure I had those tools. And so they did. It wasn't as simple as just, well, this is going to be blah, 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 blah. It's we're going to give you all the tools possible so that when we tell you, you go out and do your thing, you know, you represent us properly. But that's because we expect you to know enough by the time you get that far that no one is going to be confused. And I think that's a huge part of it was the fact that they made sure you had enough of the tools. They didn't just patch on the head and say, good luck, you're not allowed out until such and such. It's you were given as many tools as possible to make that be an option, whatever your role ended up being and whatever your journey took after that. So when you said, I'm, you know, Dartax of House Di Valente or whatever it happened to be, it wasn't, but I'm not going to get into that here. There was a certain level of competence associated with that statement. 
because you were representing all the learning you were given prior to that moment. And so there was a certain edge, double-edged sword to that as well, because you then had to act like you knew as much as you were given. Or it was a whole different level of judgment. Um, thankfully, I took to it like a duck to water. I mean, looking back now, that's not a surprise. But at the time, you know, now we're God knows how many years later. And I've I've done a little bit of everything over the years. I've done demos and I've been in three active communities, uh, possibly going on a fourth year soon. Uh, and I mean live communities, not digital ones in this case. Right, right. Um, and I've I've had several submissives of different types, including slaves as well as standards. And um, I'm currently experiencing and exploring into the DDLG side of things for the first time in twenty something years, which is ironic considering that's how we used to recognize was expectation. Uh, <laughs> wasn't planned really? that way. It's just what happened. Um, and it's just a case where I've. I'm surprised and not surprised at how much has changed in 20-something years. Because the kink list has grown ever longer. And some things have changed, some things have not. Um, my top list has certainly changed dramatically over the years. Uh, the biggest one being exactly just like what we're doing here. It's Education has become a fetish all its own. And I did not understand that until the last few years. And I don't mean education as a whole, although, of course, I'm a firm believer in it, specifically in BDSM. And it's not because I think everybody's dumb or anything like that, or you got to listen to what I say because I know better than you. It's that something that we've talked about more than once, and people have heard us talk about it ad nauseum in some cases if they've been around for long enough. <laughs> right. <clears throat> um, but at the end of the day, the community as a whole needs more education. And I don't mean that in the sense of there are a bunch of simpering simpletons that don't know dick and we need to bring it to them whether they like it or not. It's not a crusade. It's giving the tools to those that have the ability to receive them in such a way that more people can come to the table with some comfort and competency in how things are expected to be done to a point. And I say to a point because we're not dictating how people run their lives. Everybody's journey is individual, unique, and allowed. Part of the point is inclusion. Your path is never going to be identical to mine, and I don't want it to be. What's important is that you are given the tools to do so in a healthy, ethical way so that you're not hurting anyone and no one else is being hurt by you or hurting you in a sense that isn't consensual and enjoyable. And that's a big key. And I think it's one that's gotten lost along the way in the, the last couple of years of the pandemic lockdown and all the other wonderful things that have happened to the lifestyle and the community as a whole. You know, we've taken some hits just like everybody else. We're at a point where it's time to start putting that back in order. And it, part of that is including recognizing that the digital community is an entity. No differently than the local communities are. And they should be, if anything, brought together in some kind of cohesion. It's not going to ever be perfect, but you can strive to put the toolbox out there for people to pick up and use. Right. One of the things we were talking about here is the idea of um, digital leather households that uh, take some elements of the digital, right, where we're scattered, right, across yep. the... United States across the world, you know, we have people here from 
from Egypt and Israel listening, right, as as well as across the United States and, and Australia and uh, Europe all over, right? We yes. have just in this in this little uh, voice chat, yeah. we have people that span the globe, and it's amazing. Yep. So, uh, and we recognize that things are not the same everywhere. You're not, not able to, yeah, you're not, not everybody is able to freely engage in the lifestyle like we are here. Uh, but we should use this at, to our advantage to, uh, to help uh, develop the information, collect this information, put it together so that uh, these discussions and these ideas and, and all of these things that, that have come from all these years of experience living a lifestyle like this where others are not able to and be able to t uh, offer that information up freely for anybody who wants to take it. I did not have, when I was starting my journey, I did not have a, a mentor. I had somebody who would, oh, you made a mistake. You're booted from the room for the day. Yeah. That was it. That, that was, that was my training. And I didn't get to ask questions. I didn't get to learn. I got to observe. Right. And eventually he got tired of booting me from the room and I got banned instead. And then I was on my own with this need for information and nothing is out there. Just a, just a blank, endless, empty void, and nobody to ask a question of, um, right? And nowhere, and nowhere to go to try and find out where to get that information. So I learned very much from the school of hard knocks. Right? I made my own mistakes. All these things that uh, Dartax was uh, was taught over a simple three years. Here's a, here's the way things should be and how the house should be represented. It probably took me ten years to get to that same place, but I had to learn them all the hard way. No, absolutely. And I think it's something that people don't understand is when I I hate using the term and people have this is something Knox and I have touched on in our our last sequence, but um, you know, and it's something I've talked about before is I hate using the term old guard. It is one of the worst things that has ever come to the community. I think it's toxic, and I think the term itself is such bullshit. Um, and part of that is because, yes, I do come from what is effectively, quote-unquote, old guard. I am old leather. I was trained in old leather. I was raised in it. You know, old is a relative thing, considering we're talking the 2000 was still qualified as old leather in this day and age, now that we're 20-something years later. Um and the fabric of the community has changed so much. But there's people that talk about it, whether they're 20 years old or 40, who treat it like this mythical thing, good and bad. And it's like, I know why you do it, because I know my peerage. And I say my peerage specifically because we're talking about people from the leather culture and people from the Gorian culture who were steeped in it, raised in it, taught in it. Where now they're like, well, I know more than you. And unless you follow it the way I tell you to, you don't qualify. And that's such utter bullshit. It's gatekeepy as fuck. And I hate it. Because that is not what we're supposed to be about. It is not how we should be doing things. And I, for one, refuse. Absolutely refuse for it to be the norm. 
you know, there are those of you who've already witnessed when I call out people who act like they're part of that subculture, that subsection, who are talking like they know what they're doing, whether they do or not. And they have the steep mystery of, well, I just know because I have all these years of experience. That's great. You're still a douche. And that's not acceptable <laughs> exactly. in the community because you are still expected to act like what you are. You know, I, I don't like using the term elder or master of the community and stuff like that, only because unless it's been awarded to me, it's not counted for me, which is how it's supposed to be. It's more the point of I have all these years experience that are practical, ethical, and I have done my best to live my life according to what I felt was the best way to do things in a way that was both as well as healthy for the community as it was for myself. I don't pretend everybody has done the same. Because that's just foolish. I can't assume what your secret journey was and what you've gotten to to get to where you are now. What I can do is listen to it. Be open to it. Which is what you're supposed to be anyway. You know, we, we've talked before about you came from literally the other end of the coin, but you came around from it from trial and error. You didn't get a choice. Your experiences are no less valid if not just as valid at the very least because you didn't have anyone handing you a toolbox. You literally either found out the hard way by figuring it out or you were not included and that was the end of it. Many of those mistakes resulted in somebody getting hurt. Yeah. And the worst part of it, at least for me, is we're talking about people don't understand. We're not talking about the day and age like now where you had the internet and Discord and Twitch and all these wonderful streamings and media services. You had AOL, you had MIRC, and you had Usenet for collected community anything. None of which were great. <laughs> but it's all exactly. we had. So to have to learn that way is that much more of a task when you're not given any tools or rules. You just have to figure them out and hope for the best. Right. And, but that's what this is all about is to put this together, put these experiences together. Um, You know, I will happily uh, go over some of my own errors, some of my mistakes, some of the, you know, one of my first punishments, my first punishments for my real slave scarred her for 10 years. She's still today, 17 years later or 16 years later is affected by it because I fucked up. Well, I didn't know I was fucking up at the time. I thought it was a good idea. But I, <laughs> right. Right? But I don't I didn't know and it was a mental scar and it will never I have taken something away from her that I cannot give back. Uh, because I screwed up. I I thought she she messed up and I gave her a punishment and I thought that was that and and uh yeah, that no. No, it's not that was that. It's not the level of responsibility that's necessary to issue that punishment in the first place is a is much, much higher than I thought it should have been at the time. I thought, okay. she calls me master. I have all the power. I, I can do whatever the hell I want. Bullshit. Nope, absolutely not. Right? It's not that simple. 
And it's one of the things I love about when people look at master-slave relationships. And that's something we'll dive into because I do actually want to dive into roles and whatnot in another episode in full detail. Um, But the... But it does apply here to an extent anyway, in that people think that just because you're a master means you have full control over everything and that's that. And they don't understand the level of responsibility required for that to function the way they think it should requires so much more attention to detail on a responsible level, not a, well, I like it this way level. They don't understand the amount of work involved. It's not as simple as, well, you do what I tell you because I'm your master. It's, and that actually is something that we're touching on today, is that just because you're a master doesn't change the fact that you're still two people in a relationship, too. And while you have, you know, negotiated the fact that you make all the decisions in general for everybody, you still have to think in terms of what is good for both of you in a healthy way, including putting yourself out of the equation now and then. And I think that's a vital part of it, and people take that for granted. Like, just because you have all the power doesn't mean you don't have a tremendous amount of responsibility to go with it. And it's a lot deeper than people think it is. Absolutely. It it goes very deep. And what's interesting is that a simple decision where this seems like a brainless decision, it can have severe and lasting consequences that there's no way you could have predicted you know if you knew them what you know now you still probably would have made the same goddamn decision because you didn't know how it would all play out Absolutely. um right and but when things go sideways like that you need to be able to recover from it so let's let's uh, go ahead and touch on the topic here uh, Dartax, in your opinion, what is the difference between a vanilla versus a kink relationship? Um, this is going to be such a mired topic once we dive deep, but um, the very specific part of that, and it's it's the very breakdown that everybody recognizes. Vanilla, literally in basic terms, the way everybody recognizes the term, is a non-kink relationship, and I say non-kink in that maybe their idea of kink is getting handcuffed on their birthday or some light spanking or being called daddy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't misunderstand me. Vanilla is, just like monogamy, a very valid choice. And it's, whether it's by choice or lack of information or lack of desire, it doesn't matter. There is nothing wrong with choosing vanilla if that is what you want or what you think you deserve. It doesn't matter. But it is very specifically a non-kink-focused relationship any kind of non-focused relationship. And I say focused because kink still counts if it's just in the bedroom. It doesn't have to be a a DS dynamic-based relationship. But there's a difference between being mom or dad or, you know, master for the night versus the rest of your life. But that doesn't make them any less kinky. A vanilla relationship is literally the, the generic barometer that we all recognize as a standard healthy ethical relationship between two people where kink is not on the table for whatever reason and it doesn't matter what it is um i'm also going to take a moment to say good morning miss knox (laughs) good morning i wanted to make sure you were included in here if you wanted to be (laughs) i mean now that i'm awake you early risers kill me that's something we can discuss for the future. <laughs> Keep in mind, I'm running on four hours of sleep. I just worked last night, too. So, I mean, it's all relative. 
I just have way too much practice for my own good. <laughs> no, I'm enjoying listening to you both. This is this is really good stuff. I like it. Well, we want you to be included here too. Um, we have both just briefly covered our uh, our histories and how we came to be and and where we are now. And uh, if you don't mind, just brief. We don't have to go into detail like we did uh, last time here. Uh, please tell everybody about your experience and how you came to be. Uh, you know the the Imperatrix Knox and how you came to be <laughs> a good where you are right now. Okay. Um, I actually started my journey as a slave uh, when I came into kink 18 years ago now. God, I sound like an OG. Um, you are, I whether you got, realize it or not, but anyway. I know. I keep trying to say I'm not, but it's so true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got introduced to kink actually at a very, very young age, probably too young, to be honest. And I found kink before I found sex. Um, I was exposed through literature and things like that, the internet, because I'm, I'm that generation that actually saw the rise of the internet. So I do remember, you know, AOL and AIM, ICQ, all those things. But I also remember when Hotmail became a big deal. Um, <laughs> I know. I still have my Hotmail account. Same. Um, but yeah, no, I started as a slave because I you know, stereotypical gender roles and everything. And the people that I were around were very um, heterosexual male dominant. And all of my female friends that were in the lifestyle all identified as slaves or submissives. So that was my only frame of reference at the time. And several really awful relationships, a couple of really great ones. I learned more about myself and what I liked. And it wasn't until I was about 12... 13 years into the lifestyle that I actually stepped out into real community, not just online community. Um, and that was the game changer for me because stepping out into physical community and going to play spaces and going to parties and things like that is what taught me that I might not actually be submissive. <laughs> um, I was submissive to certain people. And I had no problem having that energy exchange with them. Um, I had no problem being sexually submissive either. But being around more people and watching other couples, uh, you know, other play partners, I, I realized that submission wasn't necessarily what was calling to me anymore. And I started getting involved with like doing demos, bottoming for classes and things like that and found a niche in teaching and got better at it, got better at public speaking and I had a couple of really good local dominants that started mentoring me and they would come to me. They're like, let us know when you're ready to embrace the fact that you're dominant. And I'm like, Oh, you guys are so cute. <laughs> you know, I'm not dominant. That's not how this works. No, no, no. I, I could never take control of another person. And then more and more, I, I started seeing other female dominants because I'd never been exposed to many. And I realized no, holy crap, that is what I like. I, I do want to take the reins. I do want to be in charge. I do want to be worshipped. And then I realized, wow, what does that mean for me? Because at the point that that was happening, I actually had just gotten married to somebody who was my dominant. <laughs> 
And, you know, when he and I started dating, I was his submissive. I was not a great submissive. I would cry every night and tell him, I'm sorry, I'm so horrible. I suck at this. And he would laugh at me and he's like, keep trying. You're doing great. You know, I love you and doing all the, the good things that dominance are supposed to tell you. And six months into that, I was like, you know what? If you would just color me, I could tell you how awesome I am. I could show you how dedicated I could be. Just color me. And, you know, he was smart enough to, to know how dumb that was. But he was like, you know what? I think you're the type that needs to fail on your own. So let's let's see how this works. So he collared me. And I think it lasted about four months before <laughs> I, I, I literally went That's to him and was like... It, listen, I, I'm going to give it the college try, but yeah, I finally, I went to him and was like, I think I've made a mistake. I don't think I'm actually submissive and I don't know what this means for us. And he actually helped me through that process of changing over my mindset and learning how to be an ethical dominant, learning how to do ethical punishments, you know, and not to mention at that point we had to start not navigating poly because he, there is zero submission in his body. Right. So obviously there were things that I can't do with him, CBT being <laughs> one of them, which became my passion. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you're not touching me. <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen. Right. For sure. Yeah. Which I totally respected, you know. No, of course. But, but so, you know, he, he helped me learn how to find play partners. You know, he helped me learn how to screen play partners, you know, and then plus by that time, other people that I was around, um, again, I didn't have very many female dominant friends. So all of the dominance that I learned initially was from men, um, and specifically gay men. So I learned a lot from the gay leather scene because that's who we were around. And yeah, which was, you know, an even different kind of protocol than heterosexual stuff. So like I really ended up having to dive into that and I was welcomed with open arms. I was treated very, very well. I'm, you know, absolutely lucky because I've seen some other female dominants and how they got their start and it was not as pleasant. Um, and I was lucky that when I did finally start stepping out and being more public about being a female dominant, I started attracting friends who were also female dominants. So now I've got a really great network of about 10 women that are extremely strong absolutely amazing and i now have people that i can go to to say hey this 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 whole situation went sideways help me out what did i do wrong call me out on my shit or i've got a sub that's not behaving correctly and i'm i'm not finding the right button to hit to get them to get back on track like what am i missing you know somebody help me out so even even now you know eight years into it having multiple submissives under my belt and a couple slaves i still go to my network to ask for help of course you know and so that's that's really how i how i got my start with all of this so yeah it's i've had the biggest roller coaster of a journey and that's why i tell people i'm classically trained because i have held just about every single position that you can have in a household exactly so it also makes running a household a little simpler (laughs) well it helps if you've already had the tools to figure it out yeah (laughs) a little bit like Kay said earlier i've I've fucked up. I've done damage to people. Oh, for you know, sure. I've, I've fucked up relationships because of my stupidity and my ego. You know, I thought I knew, you know, you can't tell me what to do. I knew what I'm doing. And then three weeks later, it's like, so that was shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. You know? I have too. And it's, yeah. 
I won't say it's a characterized part of having been in the journey as long as we have, but it, it's the nature of the beast where, you know, some people may have had the luxury of having 20 years of awesome relationships and dynamics and have negotiated well and stayed healthy and ethical the whole time. That's just not the way we are as human beings. Like, it's in our nature. We tend to sometimes fall flat on our faces when we do things. And I am no exception. I have absolutely, you know, devastated people in my wake. It's been quite some time, but I absolutely learned the hard way as much as I did the easy way. Because there are tools that aren't given to you in that aspect. Just because I was raised in leather, I mean, I learned how to be a dominant. They didn't teach me how to be human, too. Like, that's still something you have to figure out on your own. And so you do make mistakes in the long run when you make those decisions for people. It's the nature of power, no matter what kind of power that may take. And I think people take that part for granted. I would agree. And I think a lot of it, too, has to deal with where you are in your personal development just as a human. You know, like for me, when I was identifying as a submissive and a slave, it fit where I was at emotionally in my growth. It fit where I was at in my sexual relationships. You know, I was young. I was in my 20s. I was submissive. You know, I was more obedient and more open to things. I'm 40 now. I'm not obedient. <laughs> God help us. I hope you never even pretend to be. That would hurt. <laughs> actually, I do pretend to be on occasion. It's actually really funny. Like, uh, so quick story. Shoot. My, hu- my husband and I went to a femdom event. And it's a very strict protocol, high protocol femdom event where men are not allowed to engage. Uh, The women have to approach them. Men are strictly there for service. Um, And my husband strictly was there as arm candy. That was that was the deal. Plus, he drove me. So and the other the other people that were attending the party know that he's dominant. So at one point in the night, he got cocky and just decided to be playful. And he was like do you want to flog me? And I was like, in front of all these people? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'll bottom for you. Why not? And I was like, holy shit. And, you know, and, I, and in my head, of course, my, my mind was blown because I'm like, is, is he for real or is he just screwing with me, right? And he's like, no, I trust you. Let's, let's do this. So I didn't restrain him, put him on the cross, set him up, take his shirt off, you know, start doing exactly what I, I always do when I'm with a new partner. And I was like, you're, you're seriously going to let me do this. And he's like, yeah, I trust you. Awesome. And two hits in, he turns around and looks at me and he goes, my wife can hit harder than that. Oof. <laughs> I, yeah. So, and, and mind you, for those of you that have never met Viking, um, I'm five foot six, five foot eight when I'm wearing heels. And he's six five, and he got the he's got the nickname Viking for a reason. He's built very much like a Norse person. So here's you know my little miniature statured person behind him trying to wallop the shit out of him, and he gets cocky and says that, and I'm like, I you realize what's going to happen now? You can't brat with me because I'm going to ramp up. And he's like, no, it's fine. He goes, just remember, if you make me bleed, I'm the one driving you home, so you have to clean the car. And I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> Deal. And mind you, our, our slave that we share was at this party with us. She's sitting on the floor and she looks at me and she goes, oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, it's happening. So we proceed to play a little bit. I get him to the point that his skin is about to break open. 
and I call it because I'm like, I'm not making you bleed. This, this is not, I know what's happening and we're just showing off at this point and being cocky. So I stopped thing. the scene. It, it, no, it was. And everybody around us got a kick out of it because again, all the women there knew he's a dominant. He doesn't bottom. He never bottoms. Like right. they know our dynamic. And so when we got done, one of, one of the hosts actually came over and brought us, brought us both a drink and she was laughing and she was like, I was really starting to get scared that one, you were going to make him bleed just out of spite, but two, I knew he wasn't going to back down. And I was like, well, that's why one of us had to, and I'm okay being that person, you know, because I'm the one holding the whip. I'll be the responsible party right now, but we'll get each other back later. And, and it never fails because I do, I do still bottom to him on occasion for certain things like flogging and spanking, um, especially publicly. Cause I don't, I don't mind. And yeah, that night was just, it was so funny. Cause it was like, I finally got to beat him and it was great, awesome. but it also reaffirmed that I don't ever want to actually beat him. It's just, right. I don't have that energy with him. So, I mean, it's just, but that's what I mean is like. 15 years ago, if he had just stood in front of me and said, here's, here's a flogger, hit me, I would have completely panicked and shut down. You know, now oh, I'm like, giddy up. <laughs> no, and that's absolutely valid. And I think um, it's one of the things I find fascinating, actually, is, you know, everybody looks at the standard, you know, traditional kink relationship of, you know, dominant submissive, especially in the case of the traditional male dominant female submissive. Um, Mm -hmm. and that being the expected norm, just because society taught us for so long that that is a norm in general, and we won't dive too deep into that here, but at the same time, it's a, it's a relevant part of this because seeing two dominants interact on a relationship basis in kink is fascinating. It's fascinating (laughs) because it's amazing how they find ways to make it work. And it's not just uh, this is just going to be a power struggle from beginning to end all the time. No, that's not how it works. I know it can be. I mean, if if we were different types of dominance, I think it would be harder. But he and I both, and mind you, he's sitting here right now next to me. He's been giggling <laughs> as I'm talking. Awesome. Um, yeah. Right. Um, but he and I both are calling it an alpha type A to me actually cheapens it. We're both so extremely type A and so extremely independent that most of our fights actually revolve around the fact that the other one didn't include them in the conversation for a decision, right? Because we both know, no, here's the right thing to do. We're just going to go get it in motion because it needs to happen. And then the other one's like, well, you didn't ask me. Well, I didn't need to. I knew what needed to happen. And so that's, I would say. I can so see that though. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Because we've been together for eight years now. And I think that right there is probably the basis of every fight we've ever had. It starts out with that scenario. Why didn't you include me in the decision? And it's like, because I didn't need input. I already knew what needed to happen. And so like, which I think is different from other dominant pairings. Because usually you'll find that one of the dominants will start taking a more submissive kind of role um or or at least i'll say acquiesce like they'll acquiesce to the other person and he and i don't do that (laughs) like in fact there's times our slave has been terrified because we'll start confronting each other and she's like (laughs) oh i can imagine how pissed are we you know and she'll she'll like actually leave the room like y'all are getting heated 
I was just going to say, I can just imagine the, I need to leave the room, don't I? <laughs> well, either that or she'll sit down and she's, she's actually played mediator for us a couple of times because she'll sit down and she's got no problem calling us on our shit. You know, she does it respectfully, of course, but she'll sit down and she'll go, Knox, no, you actually said this Viking. No, you actually said that. She's like, so get back on, on the same page, oh, you know, and, which has been hilarious. I, ironically, but it's, but that, that as a slave. No, for sure. And ironically, that lets us segue back into the primary topic of the day, as a matter of fact, um, because the nature of the beast, like people always have this. And this is what I had opened with is, you know, people just assume that vanilla is its own entity. And it is, you know, for people who are purely vanilla, that is absolutely its own thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But people have this assumption that kink relationships have this automatic process where, you know, it's always kinky all the time, even in a TPE setting. And it's it is for the most part, but there are elements of that where the very nature of being in a relationship requires you all to be human first. And that's exactly the part that people lose sight of sometimes. They're like, well, what if and this was like my last partner was one of those who were like, well, I want the vanilla stuff, too. And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I want to go out on dates and I want to be included if there's a major decision. I'm like, what makes you think that's automatically not allowed? Yeah. And that's something I think people lose sight of. They think like, and you two are great examples, um, you and Kay, because you run from specifically TPE style arrangements at the moment. So you can speak to that from current experience, not just previous experience, where you may make the primary decisions, or in your case, Ms. Knox, you know, half of them were, you know, colloquially between you and your husband. But you were just using the example, like your slave stopped in as a human being in your relationship, which includes all three of you and more, and took it to a step of, okay, right now, it's not about who I am versus who you are. It's we're all part of this and we need to talk. Mm -hmm. And that kink end of it automatically got put on the table for just a moment so you could all figure things out as people. And I think people forget that that is a part of the equation, even then. Just because she was a slave doesn't mean she doesn't have a voice or she doesn't get included when it matters. Exactly. Or they don't my... go out on dates, etc. <laughs> <laughs> In my house, the, the rules that I have had to, to develop, um, the house comes first above myself. So uh, to expand on that, if one of us has a problem, if there's three or four or five people in, in the dynamic or the polycule or whatever, then all of us have a problem and we collectively need to figure it out. And it's not always master's always right because I'm not. I am absolutely not. I make mistakes. I am just as human as everybody else. I'm just in charge. But part of being in charge is to take that that advice, take the people that are that um, that report to me, and take their feedback and use that to make the best decision for everybody possible, even if I'm the one that has to suffer for it. Right. Um, you know, saying. Uh, and the vanilla side of my relationships, um, date night, right? Especially when I have uh, a couple of, of all my slaves are girls. I am I'm 
fully straight. So when I say my girls, I'm talking about uh, uh, the, the submissives and slaves that serve me. Right. But in other dynamics, they, they could be male. Doesn't even matter for the for purposes of conversation here. But um, so when uh, on the vanilla side of things, they need the love. They need the affection. They need date night, and it's important that each one gets their own time, that it's not always a group activity. Yes. So I have two, and okay, you know, uh, Nymph, you, you need to stay home tonight because I'm taking the other one out. We'll see you in a few hours. Call me if you need anything. And it's, yes, Master, go have a good time. And, you know, and then the next weekend, you know, the other stays home. Nymph, come on, let's go. We're going out to, to date. And a lot of times I will give them the, the responsibility, and they hate it because they have to make choices. <laughs> I give them the responsibility of... I identify with this issue. <laughs> plan date night. You have this budget, go. And, oh my God, what do I do? What if I, right? And and I love that panic too. I, I love it. <clears throat> mean. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's so mean. That's why we love it. It Who is. Who says you can't be a sadist in the little things? Absolutely. Oh no, he's all the time. Uh, we have someone else who has uh, a significant experience joining us. Uh, Mr. Devil, if you'd like to speak, you're welcome to. Good morning, Mr. Devil. No, I'm, I'm just catching up on what's going on. So this is like vanilla versus kink, or how do you intertwine vanilla into kink? All of the above here. Yeah, we're going to touch the on a little bit yes. of everything by the time we're done here. That's <laughs> the point. Um, the primary topic uh, at the moment was what I had addressed with, you know, this is something that I've brought up before, but people have this insight where just because you're a master-slave dynamic or a total power exchange dynamic that the other people don't have a say, that they don't get included as a person. Like, it's oh, just arbitrarily decided on by the top, and that's okay. that. And that is so much the furthest from the truth. Because the nature of whether you're hierarchical, whether you're openly poly, whether you're string or hinge poly, it doesn't matter. You're still people first, whatever the dynamic mm -hmm. is. And I think people forget that that doesn't mean you don't go out on dates and you don't make major decisions for the household without some input. You don't just take the reins and ignore everything else. Well, I'm the dom, so deal with it. That's not how they do things because you can't. We're still people first and their wants and values are part of the process. Hell, that's literally part of the process as a dominant. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't it apply across the board in any part of your relationships? There may be some elements that obviously are taken over, hmm. but that's something you've talked about and agreed to nine times out of ten, or just as you've grown together, you dynamically just kind of fold into becoming the norm, and that happens too. But to assume that means that the other person's rights or voice doesn't exist is such a misnomer. Well, I think one of the big misconceptions is it's like if you're kinky, that that's it, right? Like they and it's completely not accurate because like you were a person before you came into kink. You're still a person while you're kinky. And if you end up leaving kink for whatever reason, you're still a person. So anytime you're in a relationship or a dynamic with a person, 
you have to address that side of them too. They don't stop being a person just because they became kinky, you know? And so to Kay's point, yes, you still have to do all of those vanilla things to make someone feel appreciated and loved, learning how to communicate with them. That doesn't stop just because they like to get their ass beat. That doesn't stop because they like taking orders, you know? You still have to treat them as a human with dignity. You have to show them respect, you know, otherwise what, you know, what kind of dominant are you? It's garbage. Pretty much. No, absolutely. You know, and also nobody wants to date a dust mop. You know, if that was, if that was the case and I wanted some mindless, you know, automaton slave to follow behind me. Yes, mistress. Yes, mistress. You know, one, it would be fucking annoying, but two, but how are you helping me at that point? It's like you're babysitting. You know, I don't want to babysit somebody. I want a partner. You know, I, I want to hear yeah. their thoughts, their hopes, their dreams. <laughs> you know, that's that's part of the fun of having a new relationship. You know. No, absolutely. Exactly. Um, as a matter of fact, I want to give Corb the floor for just a moment because he has something he wants to add. And I think he's... I think we all can recognize he's got some years of experience himself to say something on the subject. Absolutely. So I'm a little bit different in a lot of ways when it comes to this, because my own situation was, um, you know, I had a vanilla relationship, had a vanilla wife. She's very adamant that she didn't want any part of kink. So in order to be able to pursue that, the agreement was that we would, um, I would explore outside the marriage and that's kind of how we got a, a really awkward start into the poly situation. But so my romance was supposed to stay within the marriage and then kink was supposed to stay outside of the house, which is fine. But one of the things that was very quickly apparent is that, um, even if it's a transactional dynamic, like one where it's like, you know, you outline what's the purpose of the dynamic. I want to learn something. I want to do something. I want to achieve something. Um, anytime you have the intimacy required to do something like that, you know, you still have emotions are going to get involved, you know, and then there's that that question of value, that question of self-worth, the question of what do you bring to a relationship all the way around. So it's like, yeah, you might be fun to just beat on every now and then, but what are you actually bringing into my life to enrich my life? What am I bringing into your life to enrich yours? Exactly. And the lines, the lines start to get blurred after a while because there is a lot of parallels that go into a healthy relationship, regardless if it's kinky and regardless if it's vanilla. Exactly. Um, healthy communication, healthy body language, healthy time together, um, that sharing of responsibility and also the sharing of, of the emotional strain and stresses of just everyday life happens but, uh, both in a vanilla relationship and in a kinky dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. No, it absolutely does. And that's exactly, it's part of the reason I wanted this to be a primary topic early on in our listings, whatever you want to call it. Uh, (laughs) I'm always thinking months in advance, so that's another story. But I think (laughs) this is something that, you know, is an everyday life question. And it's something that they don't talk about in the community as a regular thing, because it's life stuff as opposed to kink stuff specifically. Because it's all well and good to talk about what it is to have a good impact session. But what about living? 
because we're not yeah, just what talking about paying your bills. Right. It's <laughs> not just about if you're a daddy and little girl or master and slave or mistress mm-hmm. and, you know, little boy or whatever your particular format may be. At the end of the day, we're still living life, too. And that dynamic isn't meant to last three days or three months. Ideally, it's supposed to last the rest of your lives. That takes so many paths. You can't predict everything that's going to hit you like a train. That's life. That's true. Well, and that's, you know, that's the other thing, too. And, I mean, people have heard me talk before. I talk about ethical dominance, and that's exactly what that is. Exactly. You know, I mean, because I I think what's a little different from me and and, um, a lot of the male doms, um, when it comes to female dominance, you know, the topic of fin-dom always comes up and you know, how, how female dominance tend to control the finances of the men that they're entertaining. And one of the things that I've always done, especially if I know whatever guy I'm, you know, potentially going to take on is into that. We have to do a full accounting because I will make sure your bills are paid. I will make sure you pay your child support. I will make sure, you know, your rent is paid, your car payments up to date, you have health insurance, you know, all of those things. Right. And it's not because, you know, I'm making sure what money you can send me. It's more, are your base needs being met? Because as a dominant, if I'm going to take control of you and your life is an absolute shit show, (laughs) I can't, you know, like I can't in good faith start a dynamic with you and having you fully consent and being focused on me. When I know 75% of your brain power is stuck worrying about bills, family, Things like like it's it's a holistic approach. You have to look at all of it because again, yes. you're a, you're a whole person. If I if I only now granted, you know some of my play partners because I do engage in pickup play and I do engage in casual play at clubs and stuff like that. No, I'm not getting knee deep into their life. I don't care. It's it is very much like you said earlier, transactional. But if you're somebody that I'm going to become friends with and become a regular play partner, you know. One of the things that I I will make sure of is, you know, hey, if you want to meet at the club and play this weekend, do you have gas money? You know, are you able to eat before you come in? Are you, you know, when, when you leave, do you have enough gas to get home? You know, and I've, and I've helped subs with that, you know, hey, let me send you a couple bucks, make sure you're good to go because that actually is my peace of mind. For sure. You know, and it's not... You know, and, and a lot of people kind of get skeeved out about that because they're like, oh, well, you're you're basically paying me to play with you. And it's like, no, I'm treating you like an actual friend, because as a friend, I would do that for you regardless. The fact that I get to hit you is a bonus. <laughs> right. You know, the fact that you let me do all of these heinous, depraved things to your amazing body is is my <laughs> reward, you know, for sure. But I'm also that kind of person, you know, I'm, I can't watch somebody else suffer. So if I know I've got a friend in need, I absolutely will step in. So why would I treat a submissive any different? This sort of speaks into the same situation that I'm still in, you know? No, 100%. That's, mm-hmm. it's something I find fascinating is that, you know, <laughs> The number of people I have had to reintroduce, and I've had mentors. One moment. 
we've had people who I've mentored over the years who have asked these questions because they're just not 100% on the, on the ball about it. And they're like, well, what if she wants to go out on a date? Well, do you plan to just beat her and leave her in the dust in her apartment tomorrow? No. Well, then take her on a bloody date. <laughs> I mean, why does that have to be automatically discluded because you're a dominant? Why do you not get to be human first? Well, I just thought because, you know, so-and-so says it's supposed to be like this, that blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. But are you your own human? Yes. Do you want a companion? Do you want love? Do you want things to work? Yes. Then why the hell aren't you going to strive for that? <laughs> exactly. Like, why aren't you going to speak to her? Why aren't you going to take her out? Why aren't you going to buy her roses? You know, I, I we've used the joke many, many times in here about buying dinner first, as it were. But it also <laughs> happens to be true. Like, <laughs> you know, this isn't someone you're planning to beat on for the length of a night. That's what dungeon events and playtime is for. If you're talking about doing something with someone for a long-term period, as a relationship, as a... Even if it's just casually on the side for both of you. At the end of the day, you're still trying to do something with another human being in a way that is both healthy and ethical for both of you. Why wouldn't you give them all the things that you want to? Why would that have to be automatically off the table because we're kinky? It's such mm -hmm. a misnomer and it's one of those things that I hate it's one of the things I hate that's effectively not talked about, but nobody actually teaches like, oh, you're a dominance, so you can't be like that. Or oh, yeah, no, you're in a kinky not, relationship, you can't have that. vanilla stuff. Well, why does it have to be called a vanilla <clears throat> stuff? They're <laughs> both relationships. Or you're, pressed into some, or you're pressed into something along the lines of, oh, you're a soft dom, are you? Right, which you is also a bullshit. You beat, her ass, you beat her ass and you punished her for what she did, yet... You turned around the next day and you bought her some flowers and you took her out to dinner. You bought her something nice. I'm like, yeah, it's because I'm looking at her and saying, hey, I recognize you're still human. Exactly. I understand mistakes happen. I'm not apologizing. I am saying we all make those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And we and do. Just because you were in trouble yesterday doesn't mean you're in trouble today. And you're no less my partner today. Exactly. You know, whether you're monogamous, whether you're poly, whether you're, you know, relationship anarchist, whatever your particular relationship styles are, and it doesn't matter what they are if you're being ethical, they're all valid. They have no bearing on if you're kinky or not. They're still relationships first. I'm going to, one of the things that I learned, you know, as I mentioned, I, I, uh, I attended the school of hard knocks, right? Mm -hmm. No pun intended. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one of the things that I uh, learned is I recognized that my slave fucked up, and they fucked up big, and it's not going to be an overnight thing to repair to to come back from this and offer forgiveness. Right. 
They they did this horrendous thing. Yes, they're sorry, but they still have this punishment due. And sometimes that takes some time, you know, like those essays, those terrible, terrible essays. Um, they, <laughs> they, they have this punishment due, and maybe at the end of the essay, they're going to get a caning, and then we go through our forgiveness ritual, and then it's done. But until then, that projecting out, that's going to be two weeks. I cannot, Easily. yeah, and I cannot punish her with every motion and every word because she screwed up for two weeks. That is damaging. And it's unrealistic. I will, I will still tell her I love her. I will still snuggle her in bed. I will not mention this thing outside the context of corrective action, right? Even though it is burning in her mind this entire time, I will pretend it doesn't exist you know, for our date night that didn't get interrupted. I'm not going to sacrifice my fun and my date night because she screwed up. Um, the, you know, I am going to sacrifice her fun. Right. Right. I'm going to make her pay for that thing, but that is the only thing she's going to pay for it with. I'm not going to make Mm -hmm. her pay for it by having a shitty attitude with her for the next two fucking weeks. No, that's just not realistic as a human being anyway. Right, right. But But it is for so many. For so many people, I see that same behavior. And Mm -hmm. it's it's toxic. It's damaging. It is. Um, And it can, and in my in my experience, has um, done permanent damage. Oh, absolutely. You know, and now she's walking on eggshells for the next six months because she doesn't know what mistake is going to cause this, you know, catastrophic failure that she's going to, to be, you know, punished for. And the relationship suffers for it. So go ahead. Well, I think in this, I mean, it's kind of like a commentary on society at large, but people get into this mindset that somehow kink relationships are lesser than a vanilla one or like it's, it's, oh, you're just playing at something. So I think they fall into the trap of it being very transient and being very replaceable. And so what ends up happening when you do these punishments, you know, Okay, like what you're talking about, if you took it to the extreme and there's been an infraction, then then the girl or the or you know the submissive is is going to be like, well, holy shit, he's going to kick me to the curb now because I fucked up, and the fuck up was so big. This this is now a relationship ender, and so not only do you have the issue of yes, you incurred a punishment because you did something wrong, but now you've got a submissive beating themselves up. And now terrified that the relationship's going to end because a punishment is coming because they think that they're replaceable. No, absolutely. You know, and it's, and I think, and, and I've seen it. I mean, I I've encountered subs with that mindset that just completely panic when you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm not happy with what you did. And they're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. The dynamics over now. Yep. And it's like, no, we can talk about this. It's not a fatal flaw. It's clearly something I don't like that I would like you to address. But part of making you address it is giving you the chance to address it and show me growth. I can't do that if I leave. I'm not going to see the growth if I leave, which means I'm not going to see my investment in you if I just drop it, you know, and I've, and I've had, and, and I've, I've encountered it mainly in older submissives, not so much the younger group, 
um, because I, I do tend to date up, but I, I found it with more, you know, established people that have been through those life changing relationships ending, you know, divorces and things like mm-hmm. that. They, you know, they're skittish about dating to begin with. Um, and so their, their mindset is, you know, oh, well, since everything's so transient anyways, I made this infraction, you know, I'm just not the sub for you. So I'm, I'm out. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No. we can talk about this. And it's not just that ironically enough, it's, you're absolutely right in that it's almost a societal comment because it's, it's something that you do find in, you know, I hate using the term our generation because it's not that simple. And that, that range is much broader than just that. Um, Mm -hmm. but the older the person who's come to kink, and it doesn't matter if they've been in it 30 years or five, but especially if they're newer to the lifestyle itself, more so because the nature of bad relationships has spent so much time on them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's something the younger generation has had a little more, they live in a world where kink has had a better, broader definition than it was if you didn't know where to find it back when we were younger. They can't find everything, yeah. and that's kind of the part of what we're doing. But they have more basics than we did. About There's a much greater knowledge base stuff. out there now than there was exactly. when we started. Exactly, And so it's less common, like, especially for smaller infractions. And I've seen the same thing where I've I've talked to people in our age group who are submissives, and they'll be like, oh, my God, I broke a dish. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. This is going to be everything. I don't know what to do. Don't leave me. And it's like, why would I leave you? You broke a dish. We'll buy another one. I break them all the time. <laughs> Will we talk about your carelessness and take some corrective action so it doesn't happen again? Yes. It is not a deal breaker. It is not, I'm going to hate you forever because you broke a dish. Um, my favorite example of this was actually my last my last partner, who was my first kinky partner since my divorce, to be fair. Um, at one point, broke a coffee mug of mine that I had had for years and years. It was this big Game of Thrones monster. Um and God knows anybody who knows me knows I love my coffee. And it was one of the few mugs I still had after my divorce that I had just kept through everything. And uh, she effectively, while doing dishes, accidentally dropped it on the kitchen floor and it shattered. I came home from work that morning as she had just started cleaning it up. And she froze like a deer in the headlights. And this was maybe a couple of months uh-huh. into her relationship, like very, very early on. And she freaked out out at me when I came in the door. She was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll replace it. I'll find a way. Where did you get it? And I'm like, calm down. (laughs) What happened? And immediately after that was, okay, I'm obviously not going to be happy that you broke it. (laughs) But unless you were doing something terrible, it was an accident. We'll clean it up and we'll move on. Well, I'm just so terrified of, of what? That you're going to leave. Why the hell would I leave over a broken fucking coffee cup? If that's <laughs> all you were worth to me, I don't belong here. And neither do you, because you deserve better. Mm-hmm. And it took months for her to really re- wrap her head around the idea that she deserved as much for me as I did from her. Because she had had such a cockamamie idea that kink was the side thing that only existed where appropriate. And that you couldn't be going out on dates and you couldn't be boyfriend and girlfriend first. And and it's like, no, I'm talking about you being my submissive for long enough to collar you 
and in you know for those of us of the you know as you refer to it OG lifestyle, that's at least <laughs> a year. If you're going to be around for at least a year, why would I get upset so much over a coffee cup that I left tomorrow? That's ridiculous and shallow, especially for someone who has any sense. It's ridiculous. Uh, Shallow is definitely the right word for that. Yep. Oh, yeah. To me, in all honesty, since we have gone into this type of discussion, I don't think you can leave societal conditioning out of it because it is Mm -hmm. a perfect blending. It's a perfect blending of the two, vanilla into kink societal conditioning is a part of that somebody's worth to themselves plays a major role in that it it, it comes back down to that she broke a mug and she thought her world the world was going to end you're yeah. gonna up and leave her where's her worth in that how does she feel within that moment that oh my god i'm terrible now because i broke a mug mm-hmm. And it was absolutely a case where she had a series of bad relationships before that, where she didn't understand what a healthy mm-hmm. relationship looked like. And this isn't mm-hmm. someone who's like 40 something. This is someone in their late twenties into their 30, just entering their thirties. So it wasn't even a case of them having been around as long. It was a legitimate, just there's an issue here that has nothing to do with kink and everything to do with being people. Mm-hmm. And those don't automatically get excommunicated from the equation just because we're kinky. It's still everyday well, life first. You've also got the issue, too, of people that before they get experience in kink, the only experiences they have to pull from are, like in my case, literature, you know, online erotica, porn, things like that. And so that starts shaping their expectations of not only how to react to things, but how they expect to be treated. And yes. so before they get into an actual dynamic, if that's all you've been exposed to, you don't understand that fantasy is just that. It's fantasy. That's not reality. And so, like, something that I've, and I was guilty of it initially as well, but something that I've encountered as a dominant, especially lately, um, and it's gotten more prevalent with with people that I've engaged with that have only been kinky through COVID um, because they've not had the luxury of being around actual kinky people. They haven't found a community yet. They don't, they don't understand protocol or what's okay to discuss or not to discuss. And, you know, there's so many unknowns in, in their brains still. So what they've done is they've watched porn. They've read sexy books. They've seen BDSM and movies. And they think, oh, okay, I know what a DS is. Or, oh, okay, I know, I know what a kinky relationship means, you know, or a poly relationship, right? Right. And then they encounter, you know, a real live kinkster in the wild. And right. <laughs> accurate, though, you know, it's, it's, how it, it, it's always how it feels. Right. Mm-hmm. But they, they encounter, you know, a, a, an actual kinkster and somebody who's been doing it not even long. Let's say like a year, year and a half. Right. Somebody who's been to clubs, somebody who's been to a play party or has at least attended an event, maybe not played, but just got the general layout of kind of expectations and they start talking about these things and they realize, Oh, so wait a minute. I'm not treated like a medieval slave. Oh, you mean I'm allowed to say these are my wants and my needs. You know, I'm allowed to voice concerns or, you know, on, on the other side, have a submissive that's expressing a concern over like their dominance, health and well being. You know, like they have this weird thing like, oh, that's overstepping some kind of boundary. And it's like, again, it goes back to 
you don't stop being a person just because you're kinky. You know, yeah, the part that they part they don't see in all that porn that they've watched is the negotiations and the and the constant conversations those two had had before they engaged in the acts they filmed. Right. This no, they don't see that part of it. Part of my journey, I started in gore, which, if you don't know, is based on a series of sci-fi books by John Norman, who is a uh, philosophy, or was a philosophy professor. He's in his 90s now and obviously retired. But um, So my exposure, and this, the in these books, these relationships are very, very extreme, even by our standards. For sure. I am master, she is slave, and she must do everything, including give up her life, if I say so. And uh-huh. her, she doesn't own her body. She doesn't own her name. And in the Korean communities, a nod is given to that. Yes, we are not living in a sci-fi world on some kind of other planet on the other side of the sun, right? That we are not there. We are on Earth, and there is that that acknowledgement, and it becomes it. It's. Uh, not a conversation that's ignored, but one that has, it's the dead horse that's been beaten so much that it's just that pile of mush over in the corner. Nobody wants to touch it anymore. Right. Um, so, but that's the experience I have. And then coming into and taking my own slave, this is what I think. The first thing I did, she stepped into my house. I beat her ass for an hour. Because I told her I would do this, and then I was obligated to do it, and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I had never beaten anybody at all like this, ever. Right. No idea. Um, I, I believe I gave her leather, leather butt in a single session. I, I really did. <laughs> um, so, um, no, um, I, yeah, ironically, so oh, go ahead. So the. Uh, picking up all this information from entertainment sources. Yes. Um, it is very important to recognize that entertainment is the primary purpose of the thing you are looking at. It is not an instruction manual. Uh, and the, and the realities around, you know, that master slave relationship that, that uh, dynamic, the scene you that's been in your head, in your dreams, that you have been fantasizing about for years, and it's finally here, right? That day has come, and you're finally going to have this scene. Um, you have played it up. You've you've based it around something that's that's false. It's an it's a pretty picture. It's not reality. No one percent. And that transition, without any other, uh, without any other input, without anybody saying, "Hey, this is how it's supposed to be." Here's here's what reality actually looks like because that shit's garbage. Uh, when when trying to figure out reality, um, that transition is very very harsh. And the that first week, um, I got hit in the face with reality in a big, hard way, and it, uh, you know, and it it continued to do so for probably ten years. 
no, absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, Pika had asked the question here in chat um, with the advancement of the digital age, like we touched on earlier about how there was nothing there when we first started effectively, how mm -hmm. this day and age with the digital era being what it is, and you have Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, pick something, and how there's this overexposure of information in general, but especially in the case of kink, like we were talking about with porn. Um, it absolutely has changed the way people view and how they expect things in the kink arena, especially in relationships. And unfortunately, it is absolutely mostly misinformation due to fantasy or fiction or and nobody's writing about the tools like what we're talking about here, about the things that are the same, the things that are mm -hmm. no different because it's a relationship first, kinky or not. Um, specifically, like I said the last time, you know, when we first opened up, a vanilla relationship, literally the only definition for it is a relationship without kink. That's it. That is the actual definition of a vanilla relationship for all intents and purposes. The relationship part of it has no bearing on vanilla or not. But how would you define kink? If you were to say baseline level, minimum... This is this is minimum this high to ride kink. What would that look like? What is that I, defining factor? I don't know if there's a true like barrier label that I would even attribute to it. I think it's relative to the two people involved. Mm -hmm. I think if I she likes a good spanking every couple of days in the bedroom and she really likes it, why does that automatically <clears throat> be disqualified as kink if she's really into it and it gets her hot and bothered? Just because they don't have a label for it. Does that automatically mean they're vanilla? I think it's a relative thing, and I think there's a lot of gray area to it. I think there's a point of it. Like, there's absolutely nothing, or like like I made the joke about being handcuffed on your birthday doesn't make you kinky. Because that's what, once a year, and you don't really think about it, talk about it. It's not part of your everyday life. But if you have something that you both focus on for mutual enjoyment... I think it gets more pared down into the finer details of, well, is this something you just like because it's cute and you saw it somewhere? Or is it something you actually get excited about? See, I, I kind of see it a little differently, to be honest. Because I think what you're describing is kinky for most people. Um, handcuffs especially. I mean, any kind of bondage. <laughs> you, I mean... I mean, to us at our stage, was that kinky? No, it's normal. But I think to, you know, let, let's take, you know, the stereotypical couple who's just finding out about kink because it's somebody's birthday and we want to try something a little daring. Well, I think that right there is what shows you that it's kinky is because you're stepping outside of your comfort zone and finding something different. You're searching for that different experience or something to heighten your experience. That automatically makes it kinky. You know, just just That's because fair. you like rough sex, that to me is not kinky. A lot of people like rough sex that are not kinky. No, because you know? at the end of the day, that's sex, not correct. Any of the dressing. But, I, but so they so. also they wouldn't be living in a kinky lifestyle either, because to them, it would be here's something to spice up a Friday night because I'm feeling a little frisky. Whereas for that's people fair. that are kinky, we're talking about people that actually go out and and. I'll say take the investment and go the extra step to go, What what is this? I fantasized about this. I fantasize about it a lot. Now I'm going to buy gear for it. 
you know, now I'm going to read mm. books on it. Fair. Now I want to go to classes on it. <laughs> well, you know, baby girl, Oops, that's now you're in the lifestyle. Cancer. Hi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you, know, you know, and that's, you know, that's the one I, the big difference. The one I love the most is there are two clearly, there are two clearly different defined definitions between a DS, BDSM and kink. Mm-hmm. Yet tell me as a dominant or a submissive that you don't find being that way kinky. Right. That you don't find that part of your kink. No, absolutely. And it's, it's the kind of thing like Corb made a good point. And unfortunately, this is ironically something I had already had in my head too, because I had come across it just the other day. There's a type of wrist tie going around on TikTok right now that is <laughs> stupid dangerous, but it went viral. So how many people are out there thinking this is a good idea? And TikTok is a super, super casual stream media. Everybody mm-hmm. has it in some form or another. Like you can put it in anybody's hands in a heartbeat and a lot of people have it, even if it's just as a side joke. So how many people accidentally come across this wrist tie and how many of them are like, Ooh, that looks interesting. And, and they don't know any better because they don't have anything else. They haven't been anywhere else. They haven't experienced anything. There's no rule book that they came across first and they go try this with their partner at home. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, and I think going back to like the question that Pika had posed, the rise of this kind of stuff and why I won't even say it's toxic because you can't say that it's all bad. It, you got to take it with a grain of salt. But no, one absolutely. of the things that used to happen in the BDSM community before everything was digitized and before people had access to like technology and like the Internet, things like that. If you published a book that was just completely off base and talking out of your ass because you wanted to dream weave some cool BDSM story, you would have a backlash from community members. You would be excommunicated based on your misinformation and how detrimental it was to the community at large. Oh, absolutely. You still end up with a fan base. Well, yes, you, you would, but it's, it was different because it was more, That actual person who released that work would absolutely be lambasted and trolled within their community, right? And so that book would just, like, go away. Because, like, if you look at – I'll pick on Jay Wiseman for a little bit, who I like. Um, And I I own several of his books. But if you look at his early works, you clearly can tell where he was at in his king limit, right? And and the novice shows – Compared to the works who does now, whereas like with TikTok and Twitter, uh, even FetLife, you know, some of these things, it's instantaneous. The information's out there and people are allowed to say, well, this is my way of doing kink. And that is to me what's the dangerous part. It's not that they're talking about what they're doing. I'm glad somebody's talking about it because if you're going to be a dumbass, people need to have it on display. No, but I agree. the bad part is people see how convincing someone is and how like committed they are to their bad thing. And they start looking at it going, but this person is convincing. You know, this person seems credible and there's nobody decrying it. There's nobody coming against them to say that's actually a dangerous practice and here's why. And so that instant information that gets put out there gets taken as gospel. No, 100%. And people, they start relying on it. 
And well, even at that one, by the time somebody could cry out, that person with the dangerous spot could have had a million views before somebody actually had a moment right. to cry out well, about it. And it's Absolutely. a great example of the point. Like when I was a kid and, you know, obviously all our, our kid wise, we all raised in different areas and all of that. But just as a societal level, I still remember, you know, growing up in New York and you know, there was nothing kinky available outside of going to some sex shop where everything was kept under one same black label, no sign. You know, the little dusty store that's maybe a small box in some places where there's no label on the store. There's no name tag. There's no nothing to indicate what it was because society edged it out to the exiled part of town. Yeah. And it, that was just yeah, for people who wanted to buy a dildo, mind you. That wasn't even about kink. <laughs> it was just sex in general was so taboo for so many people. And we're talking the end of the 70s at this point. So we're talking some time ago. And the mm-hmm. world's view was so different. You just yeah. looking at a porno to pick up was so taboo. And mm-hmm. anybody who wrote any kind of work about BDSM, no matter how fictional or factual, would be on a shelf there at that store if it got out at all so the people the who bought them remember the battles we had right in the 80s and that's the thing is you that had- lack of information you couldn't just go and go to the internet and find something or even find a like-minded person so those books rose or fell based on whoever was buying porno from that store mm-hmm. that's it so if you didn't know Dick and the people who picked up the book didn't think you did, guess what? You made no money at all. You basically fell out of existence. Well, and not to mention just getting published for any type of oh, works yeah. like that. Like, I mean, when you look at the old, like the magazines, right, and the periodicals, because that was really all you had. You didn't have books per se. Uh, like my first exposure to like a circulated print that was like risque it wasn't Playboy, Playgirl, or any of those. It was the magazine Lavender, um, which was uh, a oh, gay God. male-centered <laughs> yep. publishing group. And Lavender was so risque, so taboo. Um, and they featured articles about, you know, gay male lifestyle, you know, hooking up and, you know, what clubs were having parties. And they had the the old classifieds in the back where if you wanted to hook up with somebody you could scroll through and be like oh there's a phone number i can call and it was it was dirty it was seedy it was creepy but it was pretty it was raw and it reflected that group of people at that particular time but it was also the only thing that they could actually get published because the publishing company that allowed lavender to exist only published gay periodicals and so, you know, finding you would have never found a you know publishing house that would be willing to, you know, like exit to Eden or any of you know the books that we think are pretty tame. Those right. would have never existed back then. No, well, that's like you wouldn't have even. And this is obviously a topic for a much broader range in the future. But like Playboy, which is probably the most recognized <laughs> adult term in the last fifty plus years. You wouldn't find anything other than straight monogamous cultural columns in there at all, ever. None. It just wouldn't be allowed. Mm-hmm. Where Hustler ran for Playgirl. Yup. Whereas Hustler, <laughs> yeah, oh if God. you were lucky, might have had something 
that was girl on girl even, and even that was still considered so taboo at that point in time. Where only the, oh, the quote-unquote questionable yeah. periodicals would even host them. Now, we know better today, obviously, and the change of information is dramatically different today. But it's a great example of how far we've come and why those labels are so silly in their own right. But it's not even about the labels. It's We're at a point where people could pick up a TikTok and join, as they colloquially refer to, kink talk. And... There's as much bad information as there is good, and that's nobody's fault. It's the nature of modern media. But that goes back to something we've touched on many, many times over, and we've all been blue in the face about. There is no book you can just go buy that's BDSM 101, and it teaches you everything. It just doesn't exist. No, they don't teach mm-hmm. you anything, but there are some really good books out there for beginners. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So uh, if – but the trick if, is they have to know where to look for them, and that's the well, trick that that's isn't the problem. there. Yeah, right. So Who's for publishing, are those runs still out there? There's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to call out some books, and if you guys have some books that that you like too, uh, please call them out. But I have a few favorites. Um, the number one book for anything kinky that I point somebody to is "Screws the Roses, Give Me the Thorns." Amazing yes. book. Um, the pot topping book and the bottoming book, bottoming book. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Easton, I believe. Yeah, uh, Easton. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the uh, for total power exchange relationships, specifically dominance, specifically because if your dom has this, there's some there's some juicy bits in here that you don't want to know about if you're submissive. Um, <laughs> Is uh, is L.T. Morrison's Devil in the Details. There's three books, one, two, and three. Those are amazing. Those, yes. when those came out, became my Bible. You know, I have it actually on my desk right now with all kinds of, of highlighted sections, and it looks like an old textbook uh, at this point. Um, but those are some really, really good, truthful, honest resources. Uh, and if you get them, you'll you'll end up looking at, hey, here's what negotiation should basically look like. Here's what this power exchange should look like. Here's what um, some basic, good, solid information um, that isn't coming from entertainment sources. This is factual information, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What books would you you all recommend? (laughs) Uh I've got a few. Um, one of the authors that I absolutely adore, and I, I actually follow her on FetLife now and I'm in some of her groups is Miss Rika and it's R I K A. And Rika is a female dominant, obviously that talks about female led relationships, but she actually gets into relationship counseling and the books that she's released actually are. Um, conversations that she has had with either a dominant that has come to her and says, Hey, here's the problem I'm having with my submissive within my dynamic. So she, her books are actually printing real world. Here's what happened. Here's what I was asked to do to help this couple. Here's how it resolved. Here's if it worked or not. Right. It's very real, very gritty. Um, For sure. The other one I really like is Midori. Uh, Midori is an excellent author. Um, if you're not familiar with her work, she's uh, a rope enthusiast. Her specialty is shibari, but she's also known for impact and things like that. And she's she's been an educator for 
oh god longer than i've been in kink um and midori is a very fascinating woman to begin with she's um asian american and she talks a lot about her experiences in kink as an asian person but her books are also very instructional as well as very um artistic so you get to see a lot of her actual artistic expression mixed in with here's how to do that tie and here's why here's the history of the tie and where it came from so there's a lot of historical background with it um Hardy Haberman is another one that I really like. Yes. His, his, uh, Hardy is, that's my go-to for teasing men. Um, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> the guy's a freaking master. I mean, he's a covered master, but he's like legitimately right. a master. Like this guy, this guy is so loud and proud and has hit a, a level that the church he goes to has a leather pew. Um, they are very That's openly, awesome. aggressively leather and aggressively gay, but he's... As they should be, but anyway. <laughs> right. But he's lived through so many life experiences because he's, he, you know, obviously gay in the 60s and 70s, you know, Stonewall, all of that. Oh, God, yes. But he's great at doing instructions about, you know, so you want to play this kind of way. Let's talk about why, and now let's learn the safe way to do it. And I appreciate that approach because he's you're getting a full education on a topic, not just, oh, hey, absolutely. when you go to strike somebody, it's tab A, slot B. Mm-hmm. So I think Hardy, Hardy Haberman definitely would be like my, my next massive must-read kind of person, even if you're not gay. I mean, his For sure. he's got a remarkable way of talking to heterosexual people, you know, and making things relatable. Um, he's got one book specifically called Family Jewels. That's, yes. that talks nothing about <laughs> it it's all cbt and, and torturing the male body but a lot of it applies to women too so if yes. you're dealing with with you know female bodies you know you still get a lot out of that book so it's i would say those are probably my top um must have no 100 percent um ironically the ones that i appreciate the most and this probably goes back to the whole you know my kink is education um specifically the new topping and new bottoming book from Dossie Eastman. Um, and the reason for that specifically it's Dossie Eastman and uh, Janet Hardy. And it's because they're for lack of a better way to put it, they're not BDSM one Oh one specifically. And we're talking about an era. These came out in 2003. So we're talking uh, two decades ago, back when, you know, kink was starting to enter the mainstream era. But they're fantastic reads because they fill in a lot of the smaller blanks about those roles in ways that BDSM 101 just doesn't in a lot of modern media. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't give you everything by any stretch of the imagination, but they're really good at touching on topics in a way that fills in a lot of the questions that you're automatically going to have after picking up 101, whatever it may be, a book, a story, a seminar. You're always going to have more questions and you should. And this mm-hmm. is actually a great fill in the blank for people who are still just getting started, where reading is one of their fundamental ways to get into things. Um, the other one that I'm actually a big proponent of, and I've I've had people give me goods and bads on this, is the there's a book by Mark Thompson that came out in 2004 called Leather Folk, Radical Sex, People, Politics and Practice. Yeah. And it's it's a Lambda Literary Award for a reason. If you are remotely interested in leather culture, it's a really good 
read because it goes back to talking about it from the 40s. It doesn't just address modern day. And it specifies the gay and lesbian underground as well as the influence of today's society in leather. It's actually a really good read because it covers the politics and the people and the culture. It doesn't just cover how to. And that's a rarity these days where it doesn't just do one or the other. He actually tries to cover a little bit of both and does it well. Nice. Unfortunately, that's my particular library tends to be short because I'm a little bit hypercritical sometimes. Um, And that's not because there aren't great authors out there. It's that after living with it for so long, I tend to put a filter on what's in media streaming senses of what's accessible that isn't taught. Um, And it's not to say those aren't good ways to start. It's that we all know how to start. It's getting us to start filling in the blanks that are filled in only so much. Like, I hate to use the example, but a a Mad Libs book from back Mm -hmm. in the day where, you know, you have this narrative and there's random blanks throughout that you fill in the the word at your leisure. And the problem is BDSM 101 of any kind, whatever it might be. Um, But they're all basic, very basic. Like, what is a top and why is that different from a dominant? That's a great question. And it's something I do want to get to labels uh, in a full sense in another episode. But there is a difference. And the thing is, when you talk to people about the difference, there's all of a sudden these new blanks that come up automatically. Because just Mm -hmm. answering what the difference is adds more questions to the informational table. And it should. If you're seeking knowledge, it should absolutely open more doors as well as close any that you already had. That's the nature of education is adding to the equation. Not just stopping what's already existing, but adding to the following flow of information. But there's always Mm -hmm. these gap sections because not everybody covers everything 100% comprehensively. You can't because we're people and we talk from experience and we talk from sources. Having the ability to do things like what we're doing right now is a great example. We're helping fill in those blanks. And it's not because we have all the information is a factual, this is how it is, X, Y, Z, full stop. Because that wouldn't work by itself. It's that we speak to it from experiences. We speak to it from many different experiences over many different walks. You know, Knox, K, myself, Devil, and anybody else who has experience at that length, you know, somewhere in excess of a decade of any kind, You have a path flow of information that you have picked up and made your own. It's not just that your answers are viable because they work. It's when you sit down and you compare them to someone else's river flow and another person's river flow. And now you start to see the parallels and the informational similarities. We don't just talk about a top versus a dominant or a bottom versus submissive because the labels have a definition. It's that at the end of the day, we now have a coverage base that everybody can look at. Like, well, all these people talk about it a certain way. Maybe they have an idea of how to make this work. Um, That being said, I think we should come back around (laughs) to the Mm -hmm. original topic at hand, which, you know, and this is why I try to say like labels and roles and things that could be a bigger topic later and is going to be. I don't want to segue into too far because we as a cultural group tend to ramble on um, 
anybody who's ever listened to Gay and I talk for two hours, we go everywhere. (laughs) So keeping the reins on could be a trick, but it's something I want to make sure we try to stay at least vaguely on task, um, at least in a general way. Uh, um, Corb actually had a very good point earlier that we got segued away from when we got on this, but um, specifically how vanilla relationships could actually gain quite a bit from learning how we interact at the kink level. Um, and it's because if you think about the nature of what we do, you as a person, for the sake of argument, we'll just go with the general theory. If you are my bottom, submissive, slave, whatever it happens to be for your particular experiences, are giving me the reins to wail on you, cut you, bleed you, beat you, fire you, whatever it happens to be, all of the above. You are giving me the reins to do physical harm to you in some way for our mutual enjoyment in some form or another, whatever that might be, whether you're sadomasochists, in service, whatever it happens to be doesn't matter. But the nature of what we are requires so much trust, so much intimacy. And we've talked before about the fact that I'm a firm believer that kink relationships just operate at a higher register. And it's not because vanilla is invalid. It's that they don't have a reason to have that same faith in each other because they're Mm -hmm. not worried about what the other person's going to do to them on a constant basis normally. It's not something that's part of their surface thoughts. Whereas for us, especially if you're in that 100% 24-7 environment, where especially if you're both single in your 20s and you get together and it's a master-slave dynamic or a mistress-slave dynamic, and you literally have a fair use going on in your home, where literally you could be doing the dishes and they just take you from behind and you just deal with that, and that's part of what you've negotiated. Uh, You are always on point. You are always expecting. Because that's the nature of who you are and what you've discussed and negotiated with each other. It requires a different layer of trust and discussion and comfort. Because it has that layer that vanilla people just don't have. You don't know when he's going to get out the strap or when she's going to get out the knife. You don't know and you're not supposed to know. But it means your level of trust has to be so much higher. Because Mm -hmm. you're not expected to know when, only that they will. And you have to be comfortable with allowing that to your person. That also follows into the settling of routines with two or three or whatever your dynamics are or can be. I mean, you're with somebody for a year, two years, three years, a decade plus. You fall into routines with each other. So-and-so picks the kids up. So-and-so makes dinner. So-and-so pays this bill. So-and-so pays that bill. So-and-so does this that, that night. So-and-so does that that night. You, you tend to fall into habits with each other. And being able to keep the communication up. Being able to keep her or him or both on your toes. Like... For example, you go home one night and like, hmm, we had to just break out the strap tonight. No warning. No nothing. Just get the glint and break it out. She's doing the dishes and just water on the ass with it. Say, move. Let's go. Mm-hmm. After it had been maybe a month, maybe two, since anything had happened at all. It's having that comfort and her still knowing that, oh, hey, 
Okay, I know what's going on. There's no shock to it. Yes. Well, and that's exactly it, is that kind of thing where it's it's not the same. You know, where a vanilla person to a vanilla person, you know, their daily life is basic. And not in a negative sense, not in a, oh my god, they're so boring. It's It might be boring for some of us because of the way we do things, but I don't mean it to be it's, boring as in it's horrible or a bad choice. For it's them, mostly predictable. Their major choices are what are we watching today? Mm-hmm. And not to say that we don't have those days too, of course, but they don't have a day where they're like, I wonder if he's going to strap me down and beat my ass today. That's never a surface thought for them. Mm. It's never a surface thought of, I wonder if he's ever going to cut me. Right. I wonder if she's ever going to take me while I'm doing the dishes. Do I need to be prepared for my chastity to come on today? None of those thoughts happen in a vanilla relationship. And they shouldn't. That's the nature of vanilla. It's normal to just have everyday life. For us, normal is just a different thing. It's a different register. And they're no differently valid on each other. But I do think it's absolutely true that the nature of how we negotiate and talk and communicate and have the transparency in a kink relationship where we need that different layer of extra communication on top of everything. I think there's nothing wrong with vanilla people taking the tools of that, even if they don't use it the same way. Have you ever noticed your, your ability with that communication to actually overflow into say, your vanilla life, your work life? Oh yeah. I see it all the time. Oh my God. Yes. No, absolutely. I see it all the time. I'll be attempting to communicate with one of my coworkers and they're not quite understanding what I'm saying. And all of a sudden I see myself take on a full on Dom role and delve straight through what it is that I am saying to them without them being able to get another word in edgewise. Yet when they're done, they understand exactly what I meant, exactly what I wanted. And they're not upset and they're actually comfortable with doing what I asked them to do. And I sit back and go, Hmm, Wait a minute. Did I just dom a dude? <laughs> <laughs> but you technically I mean, did you in did. some way. Um, ironically, <laughs> it's you know a case where you know I actually brought one of my coworkers to the to the server recently a couple weeks back um, because we happened to make <laughs> yes, a rope did. joke in front of me, and that's how it started. It wasn't even anything beyond that past serious. It's that he happened yeah. to make a crack about rope and getting tied up. <laughs> and one day, you know, he works with me on Sundays and, and uh, Mondays solo where it's just us and not a full team of people. Uh, and I was I poked him at it one day just casually. I'm like, so that whole thing with rope, I just, you know, and you can tell me to mind my own business. But is that because you've actually fooled with it or is it just a, you know, and we don't get me wrong. This isn't something I like just met him and then started asking these questions. We've known each other for a few months now um, and we get along really well. And I was like, so is that something you're learning or, and he got on the subject and he's actually very new, but he made the joke because it's something he's into. And so we got on the subject that way. Um, and it's just funny because yeah, I absolutely made the joke. I'm like, well, I could just tie you up and leave you there. He's like, what if I like that? I mean, <laughs> it's just the nature of the beast sometimes where there's nothing wrong with that in that environment. 
Well, and like for me, I've <laughs> I've had to dom several of my coworkers. Uh, one of them, <laughs> I actually engaged in a professional femdom relationship with. Um, but I mean, there's been multiple times where I've had to like lead meetings or something like that, and kind of like take charge of something, and the jokes always, you know, get passed around. But like, even in business, I got a nickname that carried over into kink. That's um, beautiful. Yeah, I was called the Baroness for a long time. <laughs> um, because I would take charge of a meeting and I had no problem silencing the table so that we could move forward to the next topic or, you know, being assertive when I had an idea that I knew was a good idea. And yeah, my boss would nickname me the Baroness. And, you know, there's been other times too where you have a group of people and nobody really has clear direction. Nobody wants to take charge. And I get frustrated because I'm like, you know, come on, lemmings, let's go do this. <laughs> you know, and then I realized, right. ooh, that was my dom voice. You know, and I and I totally look at people like, you, you know, I don't even give them an option to tell me no sometimes. It's like, so we're going to go do X, Y, and Z. And so let's go ahead and gather our things. We're going to go get started. And they look at me like, well, I, I don't really want to do that. And I'm like, no, we're, we're doing this. Uh, we are going to do this. Yeah. And then they kind of look at you like, oh, you're being bossy. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's my alpha voice. My bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I keep forgetting you're not subs. Sorry. 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 You know. How the hell, how the hell else do you expect to get it done when no one else is going to get it done? Right. Well, there's that too. But it's, but it honestly, a lot of it is just, I'm, I am naturally dominant. So it bleeds through right. everything. Absolutely. I don't know how not to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, 100%. I feel this problem. Um, the, you know, the, the nature of, of my profession, like insecurity, I can't tell you how many times the Dom voice comes out just doing my job on oh, yeah. a daily basis sometimes. And it's not even that I'm actively thinking about it. It's the nature of what I do is telling people what to do and not do sometimes. So it's just the norm. And But even then, like I am not the supervisor currently on my site, not that I haven't been before. And I still half the time end up making the plans and doing things and directing the other two people, even though one of them is technically my superior. Because I know what I'm about and I talk from a place where I know what I'm about. They just take it out of hand. So they just listen. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a daily thing with my work. I'm not, I'm not even looking forward to going to work tomorrow. <laughs> well, I'm not looking forward <laughs> to going to work tonight. I feel that. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so when we're looking at Going back to the original topic, uh, vanilla versus kink relationships, um, there is there is a question of what is kinky, what is not, what is normal, where where is that dividing line, and what makes it a uh, instead of kinky relationship, but what makes it a dynamic? Uh, yes. Because there is a you know, 50 style relationship where you're, you don't spank in the bedroom, right? You're not having that. Uh, you don't have the scene. You don't have a St. Andrew's cross. You don't even have any bit of rope anywhere. Uh, but yes. there is this power exchange relationship happening. Oh, 100%. Right. And so where's that difference? And I have been asked this uh, many times and I've had a conversations about it. Um, I have an answer uh, but I'd like uh, your input, and uh, I'm going to unmute 
devil since we had some feedback there for a little bit. What, uh, what would be your answers to that question? What's the difference between that dynamic and that vanilla relationship? For me? Yeah. <clears throat> the difference between the dynamic and the, the vanilla side of it would be that, you know, you do sort of have that 50 side, that misogynistic side. It's there. A lot of them have that. For me, when I set up my dyna- my dynamics with my last, <clears throat> the, the, the long one, I mean, I'm not even going to go get into the short one. Huh. It grew over time. It started, it started basically the same way as most do. We'd set up guidelines. We'd done what we needed to do. And when it actually became a dynamic, <clears throat> I come home, I do my thing. She came home, she did her thing. We, we had our times, but when I look at a dynamic, I still look at it as a relationship. It is our life. We are looking to build our life, and we were looking to build it together because both of us had said to each other, I don't want this to be a one-night, two-night, couple-of-month thing. We were looking right. for years, so we had planned for years. So when it came down to the dynamic side of it, I trained her in what I know and how I know, and then... She turned around and basically trained me in what she knew and what she knows. You kind of sort of do train each other. You both are human beings. You both have your own styles of life and the things that you're used to and the things that you want to do. So sometimes to me, I don't know, some people there are much harder dogs who have much sturdier and stronger types of a dynamic, whereas this is what you do and that's all you do. With me, especially in a a style like that where we're both going to live together and we plan on staying together for a long time. It becomes very fluid. And there are days when she would take the reins and she would do everything and I would do not a fucking thing. And there would be days where I would take the reins and I would do everything and she'd do not a fucking thing. I don't know. I think that's a great way of explaining it. No, absolutely. I agree. And Knox, what what would your take be on that dividing line? Where is that boundary? Oh, that's a toughie. <laughs> um, well, because it, it, I because to me, it's not a hard and fast rule. Kind of like right. the devil's saying, it's very fluid depending on what's happening. I mean, I think for me. Uh, because devil brought up a good point about just the stereotypical gender roles because whether we want to acknowledge them or not you know even in my queerness i have to acknowledge that i have some of those biases of course there is there's still that that mindset that you know women are supposed to be nurturing and people look to women to be nurturing i am not a caregiver I'm not nurturing by nature. I'm actually kind of on the cold side of things because I'm very touch adverse. I'm not cuddly. Um, a lot of those stereotypical female type things, I just don't do. So to me, my my relationships tend to look like they are only dynamic and not vanilla. Um and to be fair, I, at this stage, I can honestly say, I don't know that I know how to have a relationship that doesn't have a dynamic of some kind. Um, That's totally valid. Yeah, because it, it has permeated absolutely everything that I do. 
at this stage. And, and it's funny cause I'm not exactly like out, out about being kinky. Right. But I mean, I don't know if, cause I'm like right now I'm thinking about my, even my f- casual friendships. There's a dynamic to those as well. There's a hierarchy. Oh, definitely. So I, you know, like now on the day to day, I mean, just like, you know, a glimpse into Auntie Knox's life. Um, I mean, we have, you know, our slave lives here with us. We're not kinky every day. You know, there are days that, you know, the slave has a bad day at work. She comes home and she's upset, you know, and we talk about it and it's, tell me about your crappy day. You know, let's, and we'll talk about it while we're making dinner. We'll sit down and have dinner. You know, we'll talk about it. We'll watch a movie. There's absolutely nothing kinky about it. it. To me, it's normal what you would do with anybody that had a bad day at work. Right. And then there's days that I honestly don't feel like being dominant and could give three fucks. And so I, (laughs) I need to tune out because I've had an overwhelming day and my expectation is she's an adult. She knows how to take care of herself and fucking handle it. You know what? Chores are yours. And kind of the perk that I have by having my husband here and being a part of it is he can then pick up the slack for me when it comes to that. So like if she's having a day where she's feeling that she needs more guidance or just needs somebody to be more hands-on and I can't, he's here and I can in in essence kind of pawn it off on him and be like, tonight's your night. I'm out, (laughs) you know? And, you know, especially now, you know, if I'm not feeling physically well, you know, there's, there's that part too. So, I mean, it's, to me, it's an ebb and flow. It's not a constant. But I will say in all of our interactions, there is a constant presence of the dynamic, you know, like it never goes away. Right. It never. Yeah. It never completely goes away because like even like if she, you know, God forbid my slave ever got into that mood where she just flipped her shit and wanted to just talk however she wanted to. uh, One, it wouldn't go well. She's like, she would be absolutely terrified, but like she's actually looking at me right now laughing because she's like, Oh hell no, I would never do that. Um, but you know, we all have those moods where you just, you pop and you pop off. And if she were to do that, the way our dynamic and everything works, she wouldn't ever actually fully pop off. She would make it known what she is upset about. She would make it known that I am upset, but she wouldn't, she would still have a layer of protocol and knowing to speak to us with some kind of deference and some type of respect. Um, even in that moment. You know, because we, I mean, God knows we've, we've had fights, you know, you can't live with people and not get into fights, but, oh, absolutely. but our fights have always been very respectful and it's, and it's usually started off with one of us saying, Hey, I had an expectation that this was going to happen. It didn't. Can you explain to me why? And it's not shitty. It's just blunt, direct communication because that's what I tend to prefer. And, you know, she tends to prefer very direct communication as well. So but that dynamic is still present, even when we're not we're stepping outside of the dynamic to discuss it. If that makes sense, it doesn't. It just doesn't completely go away. It just kind of, I'll call it an ebb and flow because I think it does shift depending on like what's happening, our moods, you know, what's happening in our Absolutely. life. That's a big one too. You know, there there are just some days that the dynamic cannot be the priority. It's got to be your mental health, or it's got to be your physical health. Absolutely. So, and it doesn't, and I think that makes you a better dominant, to be honest with you, when you can recognize that. Well, dominant and sub both, because yeah, you are going to have bad days. That's the way that works. 
I mean, we're, gotta, this goes back to what we started. The with. human first, exactly. I mean, Dartax, I've broken my own coffee cups. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> also valid. I mean, <laughs> it is not healthy, but it happens. No, it absolutely does, and that's exactly the point. I mean, that's you know the nature of what we are first and foremost is humans. I, that's that's the beautiful part about it is at the end of the day we're human first we're master slave little girl daddy you know bitch boy godhood whatever your particular format or even just vanilla you're still people first whether you're in a polycule 50 godhead. people strong and ridiculous <laughs> and you're one of those psychos that can maintain that many relationships simultaneously good on you but you're still people yeah all of you in whatever format your power exchanges and dynamics shapes take. It is okay to drop a freaking coffee cup now and then. It's just as important to be comfortable talking. Mm -hmm. Being able to say, hey, I'm thinking about a job change because I really hate what I'm doing right now. But I, you know, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if you're the dom or the sub. A slave should be able to be comfortable coming to you in an absolute dynamic where they have no power willingly and say, I don't want us to have a problem, but I don't like what I'm doing. Can we talk? Because it still affects the both of you in a different way that matters being human first, not slave and master first. And that should Absolutely. always be on the table. Always. And that's every bit as important as who's got the handcuffs. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The there's a uh, there's a line, right? There's this invisible line, and I think it's all self-defined. You know, are you kinky? Well, you are because you say you are, and if if your th your kink is rubbing her feet, even as as the dominant in the relationship, your kink is rubbing her feet at the end of the night. Great. And if that's the only thing that you can identify as kinky, but you're calling it a foot fetish and this is this is your way of expressing it, good on you. Welcome to the community, right? You're probably going to explore and find other things that you will enjoy. Um, the As far as a power exchange dynamic goes, uh, the, uh, the thing I have identified – as uh, the defining factor, right? The power exchange, uh, the exchange of responsibility, the exchange of, uh, of power is that responsibility. I am responsible for you. And in even a little bit, a, a little thing, um, and that translates to discipline having a consequence and creating a consequence for an action and then changing behavior because of it. I think for a dynamic, that is the dividing line. For a vanilla relationship, you talk, you say, I didn't like the way you did this thing. Will you please change? In a dynamic, it is, I don't like how you did that thing. You now have to answer for it. Here is the consequence and now, therefore, you're going to change this behavior. Um, and I think that is the line 
in the sand that I would draw for a dynamic as opposed to kink. Um, kink, That's we fair. can we can say, like that. yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be huge. No, not at right? all. Your consequence could be saying you're sorry, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, even if that exists in the vanilla place, but it's more, it becomes a little bit more formalized. Yes. You have well, to come to me and apologize for, for violating this thing, whatever it was. And now you must change this behavior. And that well, is the line in the sand. What I find amusing is there's, there's actually a great example of that, that middle ground for lack of a better way to put it. And it's till this day and age, we technically qualify it as a power exchange relationship in the same sense as a dominant submissive. Um, but it was popular about the time that we were growing up, the 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 80s into the 90s, when mainstream wasn't the norm for kink yet. Uh, and it's referred to as a bird-in-hand relationship. And it's a case mm-hmm. where they, they adopted the older style of sense of, you know, the male handled the household. And, you know, the girl would stay home and do the dishes and whatever else and be, you know, the householder. And she would be beholden to him consensually. And, you know, it would be a case of if she did something truly wrong, she would get a spanking from him. That kind of like that was the norm for that style. And it wasn't any more serious than that. Like there was no formalized rules. There was no formalized discussion. There was no negotiation in that sense. It was something you talked about amongst each other when you got together and then it just became the norm and it was clearly a ds style relationship but it was not formalized in any sense it was very much a blurred line between the two um closer to what we call the 1950s style today because neither one had any official rules like she didn't automatically get dictated to about everything but for many things she answered to him and that was that um in this day and age, I believe that it's technically on both ends of the gender spectrum, which I think is fantastic because it should be. Uh, but at the time, for obvious reasons, it very much adopted the older style sense. Good, bad, and indifferent. But it's a great example of that blurred line between Vanilla and Kink, where it's somewhere in between. And clearly it was a kinky relationship of some sort because it was a very specific style. With some elements, they were absolutely something I would call kinky without hesitation, because something they both needed, not just something they did on the side for his birthday once in a while or that thing you like, as mm-hmm. it were. Um, but it definitely wouldn't be the equivalent of like a full scale dominant submissive style relationship at all. It was somewhere in between, and I think it's beautiful that those things exist, because there's no reason they shouldn't. Um, like the last time we were talking, uh, it was actually Knox that made the comment, but we were all on the same page about, you know, we as the DS style of BDSM, we're the noisiest minority. It's just the nature of what we are <laughs> and who we are. We're not a huge percentage of the kinky population at all at large, especially worldwide, not just here in America where there's a slightly higher percentage than the norm. But we are still not the majority of people in the culture at all. And I think people need to recognize that now and then and realize that we talk from a perspective of the very small end of the pool. We just make the most noise because we have the most defining features because we have to. 
by nature of what we do, we have to have a bit more definition to what we are. As opposed to that guy that likes that thing once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. I mean, it's, I think for people that come into kink, they just don't understand that power exchange is not the normal. Right. And people come into it and think, because that is the bulk of porn and stuff like that that you see. It all has power exchange layers to it, even if you don't recognize it. And so I think people, especially when they hear the term, Sam said, you know, I mean, they get stuck in that. So they're like, oh, so when I, you know, I'm going to identify as kinky, I have to pick a role. Well, I know I'm one of these four things because these are the four things that I've always heard about. So therefore, I'm a sub. Or therefore, I'm a dom, or I'm a switch, you know, and they don't realize that you can be kinky and not do any of those things. That you can just have a scene and play and play to your little heart's content and have a great time and not negotiate a power exchange, you know, because I've I've actually encountered that a lot, um, mostly in the dungeon for obvious reasons, doing pickup play. But that's something that I'll ask is, do you want an element of a dynamic in the scene that we're about to engage in? Or are you okay leaving it top and bottom? And I've had people look at me and they're like, that's an option. And it's like, yeah, I'm not doming you. I'm playing with you. There's a, my tone will change. You know, the way that I play with you will change if you want to go the dynamic side of things, even if it's a transient dynamic, you know, just for that 30 minutes or an hour. And you see it on people's faces. They're like, I didn't realize that I could have a non-dynamic interaction. And it's like, you absolutely can. You know, most of them are non-dynamic interactions. Right. Well, of course. (laughs) But yeah, it's to me, it's, it's always been funny to me when you when you see that on their face and they're like, oh. Yeah, I want to play with you, but yeah, I don't want you to be a dom. Well, okay, fine. I'll give you the best over the knee spanking you've ever had. But <laughs> when I'm done, understand you get to toddle off that way because I'm done with you. And they're like, "Yeah, no, that sounds great. Perfect. <laughs> Let's no, go. absolutely. You know, that's a great night. Have a great time." <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've known yeah. people even on the the casual end of the spectrum where they get together for an event or a swingers event, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, they've done it before with each other and the regulars, they talk to each other and they go out to the movies as friends. And then once a month, couple of months, whatever the event held is, and they're like, so can you spank the shit out of me tonight? Sure, no problem. And they do their thing and then they do aftercare and then they go home and that's the end of it for them. And they don't even interact with each other after that on any level other than friendship. Right. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It doesn't require no, and, them and to be more pure. involved. Right, exactly. It's a pure interaction and it's and it's pure kink. Mm. You know, and that's what what irritates me is when you hear other people they're like, "Oh, so you're just a bottom." And it's like, "Easy killer." You know, you're not just in anything. You know, so that, you know, if you're going to pick on them for being just a bottom, are you just a top? You know, right. like it's, there's, there's so many layers of connotation to that. And I'm like, to me, when people are like, oh no, I'm just a scene bottom. I don't want to do a dynamic. I actually appreciate them a little bit more because it's like, awesome. You know what you want. I don't have to try to force communication with you because you know, you know that you don't want a dynamic. You know that you're not trying to, you know, engage with somebody that's not, maybe not necessarily wanting to engage. You're not trying to force some kind of interaction 
where it doesn't need to go. Right. And it's like, I appreciate you being secure enough to say, no, I'm a top and I'm fine with that. You know, because again, that tells me how, how I should be communicating with you and it's easier. You know, when you add in dynamics and you start adding in all these other different power exchange dynamics, like things I think can go sideways pretty quick if you're not talking the same language. Especially if you're doing, you know, pickup play and stuff like that. No, absolutely. Pickup play is just pickup play. Like you said, it's a pure interaction. The interaction, when it's over, it's over. It's done. You're not muddling any lines. No. And there's people that do that, and then they go their separate ways, and they don't even talk to each other outside of events. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that either. That's a beautiful thing because they're doing what they need to do and going about their lives. What I love is that you can have a totally platonic friendship outside of that event, outside of that scene. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with that. And maybe you both do it to each other. Maybe you switch. And like every other event, you beat each other's ass. And that's absolutely, totally valid, too. And then you both go to the movies together afterwards for fun. And you're not together. You're not exchanging. You're not kissing. You're not none of that. You're just having a good time as people. Why -hmm. should that be any less valid just because their relationship sense isn't the same? It's still a relationship. Just because it's not an intimate romantic one doesn't make it any less a relationship, although that granted – that takes the turn into, you know, what defines poly and monogamy versus, you know, kink and vanilla. But it doesn't change the fact that it's still a valid relationship sense. That's a whole different conversation, though. You got it. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Stay that's like its own three-hour thing. <laughs> oh, you know it is. And we will <laughs> absolutely get off that one a... day, too. <laughs> We're running off into another, de- another depth in the ocean here. <laughs> oh, God. If I made a list of just the thoughts of what the next six months alone would hold, forget it. I, <laughs> you know, just the nature of who we are and how many years experience we have collectively, just the four of us, not even including, say, Corb or anybody else with, you know, experience on the table. I could sit there and make a list of the topics we need to cover for the next five years. Easy. Even on a yeah. monthly basis. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> but that's a beautiful thing, too. And it's absolutely what the point is, really. So. hmm. You know, it's kind of like what I said about the topping and the do- bottoming books from Easton. It's we're filling in blanks that people don't get. Yeah, because they may come to maybe it's even as horrible as they are. And I'm not getting into that today either, because that's another whole discussion as well. But <laughs> let's say they stumble across an auction group or a harem group or just someone's <clears throat> fucking angel fire web page about kink. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. But the thing is, they're out there. Angel fire. Right. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Usenet, CityQuest. You're one. dating us. I'm, I'm dating myself. I'm not admitting anybody else's issues. <laughs> or better yet, an AOL forum thread. Oh, I mean, God. <laughs> but they're out okay. there. And that's they the thing. Is, whether we like it or not, it is the nature of kink. They are still what some people come to, and that is their first experience with kink. Whether I can we tell like you, my not. first experience trying to figure out how to really do this, uh, <laughs> eventually I ran across a website that called itself Best Slave Training, and it was truly awful. Um, I honestly think it's still out there. Um, but as far as a real-life you know, example of what 
what could be done. There were some gems in there that were okay. It was a starting point. Um, But trying to translate into a real relationship was a nightmare. I, Mm oh, oh man, there wasn't anything real there that, that comprehensive. And I, I had to work past all of those things um, and find, you know, my own way, you know, okay, obviously maybe this worked for this person, but it's, it's not working here. Uh, and let's, I need to find another way, but that was my only resource, my source of truth for a very long time. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's the beauty of things like that is people don't understand nowadays. And that's 100% valid and understandable that they wouldn't. You know, you have like your case where you had to come to kink through that because there was no other alternative. The number of people who probably got on Usenet or Merck, (laughs) as horrible as it is back in the day, because they were part of a local community. And let's say they had to move, whether because of business or whatever it was. And they were now in a place where there was no community. What other option did they have? They had Usenet and Merck and GeoCities and AOL, because that's the only option they had left that didn't magically make them any less experienced or knowledgeable. But it means that they were talking from that space in an environment where not everybody did. And it's a great example of how the digital world has kind of moved on as a whole, because it started from that, where people with experience had the at least a forum to talk from, where people like you could at least glean some gems out of it. And not everybody was just a fucking waste of internet space. Exactly. But the worst part is, coming from that space, you could not isolate the people who truly had experience from the ones who were lying about it and trying to get laid. There's a lot of that. Oh, there is. There is. And you'll you'll see um, from somebody who has experience now, uh, you see somebody that's like that, and they're clearly talking out of their ass, but for some, for some young thing that they're going after, and they don't know any better, right? Yeah. They don't. This person sounds like they know what they're doing. Everything sounds good. It kind of matches some of these other sources of truth that I've I've found for myself. Um, they appear to be experienced, but truthfully, they're not. They they're pretending to be something they're not. They've never picked up a whip in their life, or they've never picked up a flogger. They've never actually hit somebody for for pleasure, right? They've never had that real life experience, and they're just after God knows what, right? Uh, pictures or whatever, right? Uh, yeah, and send me nudes, right? Exactly. Oh, God. You got you got this this person who's who could potentially be an amazing dom but they have no mm-hmm. experience they have no no expectations of themselves to go get go out and get it and right. they because they have reached you know 35 years old they can now claim that they have 10 or 15 years of experience but they really have zero and it's all been online or they have not to discount the online experience at all but they yeah. have nothing practical to back up the experiences that they do have this is the difference between theory and practical you're you're trying to take theory to practice just doesn't work and to me that's what what online is 
I don't want to put it that way, but it's truth. To me, all the online experience in the world is only theory. It'd be the same as an engineer who never stepped out of his cubicle and drew all these beautiful things every single day, but never actually got out of his cubicle, went down to the shop and attempted to build it himself. Well, I mean, I, I will no say practical that. use. On, online has its place, though, because there are so many people that don't have the luxury of being able to be public. Yeah. And so, you know, and to be fair, though, when you're looking at the different types of submissives, some submissives only need that guiding force. They don't need the physical application. Truth. They've mostly got their shit together. They just need accountability, which I don't have to be physically with you to give you that accountability. No, for sure. Now, coming from that space, one the things that I did learn were the mental aspects. I was very well-versed when I had uh, my first slave in my house. I was very well-versed in the mental aspects, the domination and submissive uh, uh, headspaces, the path that I could take somebody I, just by using a tone of voice, just by using certain words, I can direct her mind in a way that I want it to go and get her to arrive to, to a mental place that I wanted her to be in. I could, uh, I was very well experienced in that because that's all I had. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't do that with a touch. I had to do that vocally. And when uh, Skype finally became a thing, right? And we could actually have God. a video conversation. You know, now the future was here, right? Because we've been in a, uh, fantasizing about this sci-fi stuff since the 50s. Um, you know, Dick Tracy and his video watch. Uh, you know, dating myself again. Um, we now have this. And I can see how somebody is looking and how they're living and what their house looks like and what that expression on their face. And that added a new dimension to this that brought that person closer, but there's still, I still can't touch them. Um, so there are some experiences there that are extremely valid uh, that become even more in tune and honed Without that experience, you don't get that because you make up for it with touch. You make up for it with sex. And right. you can have all of those experiences here, but you don't get to fine-tune some of those mental aspects that would otherwise be the only thing you had. No, I 100% agree. I mean, and that's the thing, like how many people whose experience with kink was over state lines or I mean we, we don't talk that much about like when they were both partnered with other people or married and they were still consensually like maybe they were just a case where your spouse recognized you needed something else on the side and today that's a lot more open and we're talking with poly people nowadays and all the ethicality that goes with it but when I was a kid, there were those people that had their mistress on the side or their dominant on the side or their sadist on the side. And it was a 100% valid thing. Their husband or wife knew about it, and it was just their only outlet for that part of themselves. And obviously that's a very different way of living, but those relationships are no less valid just because we've changed how we accept them. 
Well, I will say as someone who's been that mistress, um, (laughs) (laughs) well, because I mean, just kind of the weird nature of being a female dominant sometimes I get a lot of, and of course I'm being stereotypical. It's not every person that's ever come to me. Um, and I, and I'll preface this by saying people have to petition me for my dominance. I don't just automatically say, yeah, I'm willing to go do this with you. Right. Um, I make them actually send me a petition and explain to me why you think I'm the dominant for you. But even in club settings and things like that, I've had people come to me and fidelity is absolutely an issue and a concern. And they're being, they've been very open with me because if they lie to me, I don't entertain them. But, you know, hey, my current marriage doesn't allow me to explore this fantasy or this fetish. Can you help me explore it safely? Or I'm looking for ways to integrate my wife into this, but I don't know how to explain it to her without coming across like a freak. Or, you know, I can't afford to let anybody know the secret part of me, but it's now a compulsion because I've denied myself for so long. Can you help me through that? And, you know, back to Kay's point, virtually you have a lot of leniency with that, with privacy and things like that. Also, it's very scary because, you know, Skyping with someone, you can record it. People can upload it to the Internet, shame you, whatever. So there's all there's always concerns. Right. But, you know, I've I have found that by and large. You know, the people that do seek it out, by the time they're actually trying to connect with another person, they're so invested in it, they know they're kinky. They're so invested in it, they know they're interested in power exchange. They may not know to what degree, but they know the interest is there. They know the compulsion is there. They know that it's something they fantasize about when they masturbate. So it's it's a prevalent force like in their, their whole relationship. So, you know, I mean, there's so, there's so many different ways people come into kink and there's so many different ways that people express it that I think a lot of these rigid views that people have about BDSM are really toxic because it's, it's, it teaches shame and God knows we have enough shame around our bodies, how we look, things like that. We don't need more, <laughs> you know, you don't need to make BDSM shameful because the reality is when you look at the population of the world and how many people engage in kinky practices or, or even BDSM practices, it's a shit ton. So for something to be so taboo and so illicit and so shameful you're talking about 40% of the world's population that engage in it somehow, you know? And I think I don't want to ever fully normalize kink because I'm not in that camp where I think that that's a positive thing. I don't think kink should be fully normalized um, just because of the inherent danger factor in BDSM. Mm-hmm. Right. But, well, because I don't, I don't want just anybody picking up a crop. I don't want just oh, anybody picking up a length of rope thinking that they can be a shibari master. You know what I mean? Please don't. But <laughs> yeah, please don't. Please don't do that thing. And if you get that itch, text me. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I will talk to you. So out of accurate it. though. It, but, but it is. And that, but that's what I mean is I don't like, I think talking about these things are, is healthy and positive provided you're already like-minded. 
Like Excellent. I'm what <laughs> my soapbox for the day. <laughs> one of the phrases that absolutely pisses me off and I hear it so much. I'm going to go corrupt the vanillas. Oh yeah. I can't freaking stand that. And whenever I hear somebody start talking that way, I'm instantly, I know you're not someone I want to associate with because you're toxic. Um, because my thing is, it's not my job to corrupt anybody. It's my guy. It's my job to guide somebody. Right. You know, it's, you know, my, the leather path that I'm walking is one of education, like you, Dartax. And my job is to empower, create, shape, mold, you know, all those positive things. Right. It's not to corrupt. If you're not already like-minded, I'm not going to spend my time on you. Not to say that I'm here to reinforce stereotypes. No. But if you're not already kinky and kink aware, I've got no reason to interact with you on that level. It will be just a friendship, not a kink-based friendship or relationship. I'm not going to mentor somebody who's not like-minded, you know? And so to say, oh, I'm going to go corrupt some vanillas or, oh, you know, for shits and giggles, I'm going to bring my vanilla friends to a dungeon makes my skin crawl because now you're putting it in the category. Oh, it's a total waste. But if you're only in it for the shock factor, you're now treating your community, people that look at you with trust, people that are looking at you to hold their privacy and to hold their space, right? Yeah. Now you're treating mm-hmm. them like zoo animals. And I'm not here for your amusement to just say dance monkey. Oh, 100%. This ain't a freak show. Well, it, exactly. It's, it's not of, a freak show. It's the kind of thing, like, I've made the cracks about people that I already knew were kinky at, like, a fetish factory event. Where they're obviously already walked in the door. And I'll be like, go corrupt the newbies. Like, that's a little different. But it's because you already recognize the interest is there. It's a safe environment for you to fool with them and them to fool with you and have a good time with it. That's different than Mm -hmm. going to, say, a coffee shop and threatening to handcuff people. I mean, (laughs) they are two very different ideas. Well, or or the people like we you know we've seen it in the news here recently, being dressed in full latex with leather collar leash and walking uh, their submissive on their hands and knees through the grocery store. Yeah, mm. and it's, that's bullshit. No, it is, and it doesn't matter how mainstream we've become, or how acceptable it might be on some level to be like, oh look, that's interesting, mm-hmm. and it's better than exactly. it used to be by far. That's still not the norm, and it never should be. No, absolutely not. You know, because, you know, and that's the thing, too, is I think one of of the big differences between, you know, going back to our our actual topic today, vanilla v. kink, um, (laughs) you know, in vanilla relationships, PDA and having those public displays of affection, there are some stereotypical norms that are already in place that people don't bat an eye on holding hands, kissing, things like that. Even, you know, granted gays and lesbians still have a harder time with that than heterosexual couples, but at least seeing people kiss in public is not crazy. Right. No, absolutely. But that doesn't mean I'm willing to put a collar on you and parade you around at the family dinner, you know, and it shouldn't be normal. No. You know, now it's one thing if I'm throwing a protocol dinner in my home and it's all kinky people and sure, slaves are naked, slaves have collars, you know, the dominants carry a leash or wear gloves, you know, whatever. But 
I would never expect that in front of my parents or my grandparents. Oh, God. You know, I would never expect that in front of my boss, you know. And I don't necessarily think that that should be normal. No, it personally. shouldn't. Because that's not. They don't need to be privy to that part of our life. No, and most of them don't want to be. Correct. You that's know, the other part. It's not even about, I don't care if you're both kinky. Like, even that part of it, like, just because they are or you are or any of that doesn't mean they want to know the details. You're diving into another topic entirely. Again, that's violating others' consent with what you do. Right. 100%. And it doesn't matter if the other person's kinky. It's still consensual first. Mm-hmm. Right. Just because they're kinky or doesn't be. mean they want to know about yours. Especially right. in a professional setting. Oh, Absolutely. Or in a public setting, you've got exactly. your you've got your sub full gimp suit crawling down the aisle on a freaking leash. Come on now, you're violating everybody's everybody's consent in that store, other than the two of yours. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And no, and they didn't come out wrong. that day to go shopping. They didn't. Yeah, they didn't go out that day to go shopping and expect to see somebody in a gimp suit. No, and God knows they should. <laughs> On some level, that's amusing, sure, but it's amusing in theory, not in practice. Right, that's not practice. Yep, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. But that, but I do think that is something that's vastly different because it's still somehow more morally acceptable to say this is my boyfriend, this is my girlfriend, than to say this is my submissive. Right. You know, than to say this is my dominant or this is my mistress. Right. And. You know, to me, because those relationships within kink are based on sexual expression and identity, yep. I wouldn't want to be introduced to somebody as a mistress. Oh, God, no. Especially you know? in this day and age. I mean, never. I mean, I already really have done. my own hangups around that word anyway. Like, it's part of the reason why as a female dominant, I've never used the, the term mistress because I hate it. I'm not somebody's dirty little secret. But the same token, you know what I do with someone should not be shaped by their other relationships, you know? So aside from introducing me as a friend or, you know, Hey, this is my friend Knox or, you know, yeah, I know Knox from, you know, this club. It doesn't tell you what I'm doing with them specifically. Exactly. Because people don't need to know, you know? But I know that's, you know, that's not a common mindset in kink because people are always so loud and proud. You know, hey, look at the cool shit that I'm doing. And, oh, did you see whose ass I beat last weekend? You know, but to me, people don't need to know who I play with. No, it's irrelevant for Absolutely. And I don't want that to shape my future interactions with somebody because the other spinoff of that that happens is, oh, I saw you play with so-and-so. They start thinking, you play like that all of the time, so that must be the only way that you play. So now I don't want to play with you because I'm not masochistic enough, or I'm not, you know, right. I'm not into that kind of edge player, you know, whatever. And they, they start discounting you as a dominant because they think you're like a one-trick pony. Which they is also put you in a second yeah. It shouldn't be the case, yeah. But it happens, and it happens a lot oh, because it it's, they're basing it off right. of what they've seen. And it's like... I don't play to the same intensity with every single person because not every person wants that. No. I'd be kind of concerned if they did, really. I mean, mm-hmm. 
true. One hundred percent. That's my rant for the day. <laughs> no, but it's one hundred and twenty percent valid. Like it really is, <laughs> <laughs> and I wish more people understood that. Mm-hmm. I, I and in this day and age, like it's the kind of thing where even now. Like I said about the the guy I work with that I addressed because he made the rope joke. I don't approach it just anybody that way just because they made a comment about it. That's right. someone I've built a certain kind of relationship with as a coworker where we joked around and we're having fun. And we have that casuality where it's something I could bring up and I'd feel safe doing so. But right. even then, I wouldn't have done it in front of other coworkers, even if I knew they might be kinky on the side themselves. Because that's a private one-on-one conversation, not for public consumption, and it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And more people need to recognize that, I think, sometimes. Well, I mean, there's still an appropriateness that you have to have, even even if it rubs you the wrong way. I mean, you know, again, people... Like, and I feel like in kink, especially kink dating, right? The first thing you, you talk about, like if you meet on FetLife is all of your fetishes, your likes, your dislikes, hard limits and things like that. And you know, I talk about how Viking and I started dating to kind of illustrate the point, because when we started dating, we met on FetLife. Right. We knew all the sexual stuff. Of course. And it wasn't until like the third or fourth time that we had sex and been intimate that he was like, hey, you know, do you want to order a pizza? And he stopped and he looked at me and he goes, what do you like on your pizza? And I'm Uh, like, holy fuck, we've never talked about that. uh, You know, he didn't know my favorite color. He didn't know, you know, my favorite flower, you know, or anything about my family. We only knew the kink stuff. Right. Which was completely backwards from vanilla dating. Right. You start with the intimate stuff and you work backwards. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how it does work, right? Yeah. Because, but that's. It kind of goes back around to uh, what we've said before about, like, what Cord brought up earlier. At the end of the day, like, we come from a different background where our first concern is finding mutual kink. Because we're so, this is where we want things, this is how we want things. So I need to find someone who's compatible with those things before I even worry about the rest. Mm Mm-hmm. That we kind of come backwards on it where it's like, okay, this lines up, this lines up, great, but who are you? Yeah. And that doesn't become a topic of discussion until later. If you notice sometimes, though, when you do start to get into those, it's like, okay, our kinks line up. That's great. All these things are lining up. Then all of a sudden, as human beings, you don't. No, absolutely. And that's why vetting is still – that's, once again, another of the thousand topics that we will get to Mm. one day. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, negotiation and vetting is an absolute total topic of discussion all its own. Um, 100%. And it's an important one. It's probably one of the most important ones for the same reasons. Because you don't Mm -hmm. want to end up, you know, quote-unquote, excuse the expression, get in bed with someone who's – not necessarily compatible with you in a way that matters. Yes. Because it doesn't matter how great you both enjoy impact or knife play or whatever. It could just be a case where your freaking traumas don't match up. That's a big one. Uh-huh. That's, well, that's one. huge. Isn't it <laughs> um, 
for now, however, uh, I'd like to make some closing thoughts if we have any on the table. Uh, we've kind of wrapped this around long enough that we're starting to run out of steam, which is perfectly valid. <laughs> uh, which is impressive for us, but it does happen. Uh, it's a good problem to have. Right? Um, <laughs> if anybody has any closing thoughts on the table to make, please. Uh, I think we've covered enough of it that that's not a big deal, but I want to make sure everyone has the floor at least for a moment. And don't discount your quote-unquote vanilla side of life. It has to be a part of who you are because even if you do claim to be kinky 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, you still have to eat. You still have to sleep. Yeah. You still have to clean. You still have to pay the bills. <laughs> you Truth. still have to go to work. Right. You still have to get up in the morning and take a shower and do your daily bathroom things. It has to happen. You're still a human <laughs> being first. No, 100%. Just, and that's exactly just, it. You just always need to keep that in mind, no matter what your dynamic is, no matter what side of the slash you are on, you're still a human being first. And that's pretty much all I have to say about it. No, absolutely on target. You know, at the end of the day, we're we're still people first, and that's the part that matters. Get out on dates. Know each other. <laughs> Don't forget that you're people first. When the big shit happens, especially whether it's somebody has cancer or your job sucks, or maybe you both need to talk about finances because you need to move in a different direction. Never discount that you're human first and master, slave, dominant, sub, whatever it might be later. Fully agreed. Absolutely. You know, there's there's been times when I have a big decision to make, and this decision, no matter what the decision is, is going to suck, right? <laughs> this shit's going to hurt no matter which way it goes. Um. <laughs> You know, one one in particular that I, I recognized once I had two women in my house. They didn't get along. They were going to rip my my house apart. And if I didn't make a decision, they were both going to go. Oof. Mm. Right. And, you know, my fault. But here's a situation that I'm in because I made a mistake in the first place. And now I have to answer for it. And I have to tell somebody I love to go. Mm -hmm. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, you got to earn it. You got you got to you got to own up to it and you have to make that hard decision. And, you know, uh, I I am in this house. I I you know, they call me master and you know, they're not going to make the decision for me. Well, they will. Uh, <laughs> if I don't make it, that decision's going to going to be worse, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, but but the hard things um they still happen. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's not, not kink or, or, or anything related. And it's okay uh, for a dominant, the, the, uh, the dom dominant in the house to lean on the submissive for support. Mm -hmm. They are my stone pillar. That's, that's who I go to for support. When I need when I need that. I'm not sure about myself. I don't know that I'm doing the right thing here. I need your your feedback and your support. Yep. I need to know that I'm not just making this decision in a vacuum and you want nothing to do with it. Kay had said a, a comment earlier about, you know, the slash between, you know, the, with responsibility. And I had 
my last sub, my longest one, she did. She flat out said, you know, I am just as responsible for you as you are for me, right? Truth. Oh, yeah. And that, the the day she said that to me, it just kind of blew my mind. Because it was one of those days I was sitting there trying to figure out how the hell we were going to get out of the hole we were in. You know? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm just as responsible for this as you are. You know that, right? You can't let me help. (laughs) <laughs> and it, it, it was one of those moments where it was like, yeah, my brains just sort of leaked out of my head. <laughs> accurate, though. And it happens. It's very accurate. Okay. Because I want to are, thank yeah. everybody for coming tonight, today, whatever it happens to be for your time space. Um, you were all wonderful. Thank you, our listeners, 120% for making this the reason we do this. Because without you, we're just rambling around a corner coffee table. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, while there's nothing wrong with, isn't the point in this case. Thank you all for coming, everybody that's uh, listening live. And uh, uh, this is Leather and Limits. Thank you very much. Thank yeah, you thank you guys. Very, very much. Yeah, thanks for being around. Mm-hmm.